Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane's newest trial. These are, as always stated, my favorite episodes of the month to record. And just in time for Halloween, we're gonna do two of your favorite creepy characters this month, uh, Brainchild and the Puppet Master. <laughs> Everyone I've mentioned this pair to has said, wow, that is a wild combination. Uh, but weirdly, it's kind of fitting for the two of these very odd 60s-based characters. Uh, I'm so excited to have an educated and incredible uh, cast of of jury members here with me to spend this time on this beautiful Sunday on October 1st. Uh, let me open with just some preemptive statements. Body horror. Many stories revolve around things happening to the human body. And many of our favorite characters or stories are based around the concepts of characters who are frightening because they are different. Writers create villains who are too fat, too tall, whose eyes or mouth are too large, whose arms are too long or short. Simple variations on the human body leave us feeling slightly eerie. And sometimes that means that creepy characters are short. <laughs> and if you pair that shortness with an enlarged head and tiny limbs, as is the case with Brainchild, or with painted on eerie facial features that represent a ventriloquist dummy and a bald head, sort of like the puppet master, we get scared as well. Then you make these men able to control your mind, to take over your thoughts, and you have fodder for every man's worst nightmare. What happens if he takes over the mind of my woman? Which is a story we will revisit again and again. Every woman's worst nightmare, the man in my mind, he's hideous. Uh, 1960s are wild, you guys. Uh, while the Puppet Master and Brainchild are very different characters with very different histories, there are literary tropes that make these characters oddly similar, and we are here to put both of them on trial today. But first, let me welcome the esteemed members of my jury. Uh, ask why I'm introducing each of you. Let us know your name, your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, and uh, what are your kind of initial thoughts on these characters as you approached these uh, these research uh, excursions? <laughs> You know, characters you may never have given any thought to in the first place. Uh, let me begin with my friend Justin Wilder today. Justin, hi. It's so good to see you again. Great to be here. Hey, everyone. My name is Justin. I use he, him pronouns. You might know me from my extensive work as a podcast attorney here on this great podcast where I rant and rave about my favorite and least favorite characters on this very show. Not a real attorney. Other than that, you might know me from the Ex-Wife podcast, where I co-host with my lovely wife, Alicia. We discuss current comics in the Krakoan era and diving into all the, the nitty-gritty that the mutants are getting themselves into today. For the Puppet Master and Brainchild, I I could conjure an image of Brainchild when I heard read the name, but Puppet Master was a complete blank to me, which was really interesting. And the more that I read about him, the more that it connected some details to Fantastic Four characters and stories that I knew tangentially. So it was kind of like a fun way to get into this creepy dude. Uh, Brainchild is just dumb. <laughs> He's just a dumb guy with a big brain. I don't understand it. Like, I love his MO. I love Dinosaur Warriors, that idea of just, yeah, I'm going to tech up these T-Rexes. Fuck yeah. Like, that's a supervillain I want to read about because that's just so amazing. To pair him with Sauron, like... Top top tier villains. So I was in for today's assignment. Brainchild is the toad of the savage land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go over to my friend Susan Wilder next. Or, um, oh my gosh, Susan Kirtley next. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm doing well. I like that name though. I would like to have that name. That's a cool <laughs> name. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm Susan Kirtley. I am a professor at Portland State uh, University and the director of our comic studies program. 
and I use she, her pronouns and excited to be uh, here to chat today. I love these choices for a sort of spooky Halloween fear episode. I think they're a lot of fun. I think they play into, you know, some of our worst fears and we'll talk about this, but the, you know, the fear of mind control, not being in control of your own body, of my own fear of puppets, that sort of creepiness, that uncanny valley of the puppets. And then of course, with Brainchild, there's the fear that I experienced reading in these old comics, the fear of dubious loincloths and (laughs) really, really fearful fashion choices, which of course we will discuss um, later. But for a spooky episode, I just thought, what what an excellent choice. So thank you for uh, inviting me. I made a list of 1960s characters I want to do first. And uh, here we go. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's such an esteemed honor to have you on every time, Susan. Thank you for coming. Uh, it's so great to see the face of my dear friend, Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Chad. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. So excited to be here with this panel of jurors, prosecutors, and defenders. Um, so Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos is my name. Uh, she, hers are my pronouns. Um, you would probably know me from a bunch of anthologies that I've been in, whether it's prose, uh, speculative fiction for dr- dreamers, my story, Gene, which is pretty much homage to X-Men 137, uh, comics like COVID Chronicles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, hmm, all right, what do I like about love about the puppet master? Well, I love his obsession, obsessive determination. It's like Fantastic Four forever. I'm gonna hate you, I'm gonna get you. I do not give up. And when that fails, I'm gonna be a rapist pimp. Like, you know, you gotta give him credit for committing to evil. Um, for brainchild, when pet chat, I think, fell to the floor. Uh, for brainchild, um, I love that he speaks when spoken to, like all good children uh, uh, should know. He's really in touch with his inner child. Um, and I really like that he knows and values that what it means to evolve as a person. That's very important. Um, maybe not so good that he does not give you a choice on whether you want to evolve or not. So excited to dig into these crazy characters yeah i was uh, i was genuinely surprised when you agreed to come on and do this episode for these weird weird characters stephanie i'm so happy you're here <laughs> i had no idea who they are i am like jean gray jean gray jean gray <laughs> so i'm like those sound interesting <laughs> sure and seth martell's like you're nuts uh jean gray uh has big plans on my show in the new year you and i will talk because i know you're my you're my favorite jean gray fan if i (laughs) Uh, it's great to see you uh let's go over to uh mr daryl lawrence next hi daryl hey i am so happy to be here i'm daryl i go with he him pronouns and i am from the x factor files podcast where myself and my partner philip are currently going through all of the 1993 marvel annuals one by one to chat about all of the new characters and their varying levels of success um, that were introduced. So it's 27 annuals. We are wrapping up by the end of this calendar year. And then who knows? There are some plans, but I'm not going to surprise anyone today with those. You'll just have to find out. Um, I am more familiar with Puppet Master, and I'm glad that I am on that part of the trial um, because he... He's like that skeezy uncle who just shows up sometimes in Fantastic Four issues. And you're like, why are you here? Like, Um, so as we are celebrating, you know, uh, the high holiday of many gays, um, Halloween, it's fitting that we have an unwanted uncle show up to that holiday celebration. (laughs) 
So I'm excited to dig into who he is and what he's all about. And I am super excited um, because I I don't know anything about our friend Brainchild. I and if I do, it is in a recess of my mind that I have not accessed. So are you I'm in for a creepy treat, my friend? <laughs> I am. I'm ready for it. So let's go. It's always fun. I, I mean, it's the 60s. And we have talked about the Puppet Master a few times on my show because he's fought the X-Men a few times in the 60s. But it's fun pairing an ex-villain with a slightly adjacent ex-villain. And, you know, we did it with uh, Danger and Quasimodo as an example. Uh, it's really fun to put these two together. Uh, last but not least, my dear friend, Steve Duda. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Uh, it's me, Steve. And you could find me on Twitter at Howdy Duda. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on some other things with the exact same handle. It's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. I'm an X-Men reader. I'm a amateur comics critic. I am an occasional podcaster. And I show up on these shows every once in a while to do this. Um, my pronouns are they and them. And... Brain Charles, I've never really known much about, but I am always going to support a Magneto goon. You know, anytime there's one, I'm going to be there for him. Um, Puppet Master is somebody I'm pretty familiar with, although I read some new appearances today, so that that was exciting for me. Um, I've I've read the first good chunk of the original Fantastic Four and quite a bit of Marvel team up, so I've had a a good working knowledge of Puppet Master for a while. Uh, your name being Howdy Duda, which is a play on Howdy Duty. <laughs> I wondered if you automatically liked the puppet child for that reason or not. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't like Puppet Master because I grew up with Slappy uh, from Goosebumps mm -hmm. and Talking Tina, Talkie Tina. And I, I had I had like a crazy nightmares about both of those characters. Although as an adult, I have absolutely no fear of puppets whatsoever. But even... Some of these issues, the way Puppet Master is drawn, it's too close to Slappy for my comfort, and it just gets under my skin. It's always a wild time for me to read character chronologies front to back and just kind of see how the interpretation of them's changed over the ages. Uh, we're going to open with the Puppet Master today, who I'm weirdly fond of, although I know he's very creepy. Uh, we're going to talk about puppets at the beginning. Back in the July trial, we got to talk a lot about anthropomorphism or the endowing of animals, objects, or creations with human motivations and emotions. We covered that with the danger trial. Uh, puppets have been around for thousands of years and are part of many cultures. People are obsessed with puppets. Finger puppets, shadow puppets, sock puppets, marionettes, body puppets, arm puppets, rod puppets, ventriloquist dummies. Think of the number of puppets from your own culture that you hold in absolute affection and esteem. From Howdy Doody, as mentioned previously, to Lamb Chop's Play Along, uh, and the song that never ends for my childhood, uh, to Pinocchio, uh, Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog, Oscar the Grouch and Cookie Monster, Avenue Q, and then stretch back a little bit farther if you do some literary exploration to Charlie McCarthy, Fraggle Rock, Punch and Judy, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, Triumph the Insult Comic. Uh, entire celebrity careers have been built around puppets. Then we stretch our mind a little bit more and realize that not all puppets are fondly remembered because some of our scariest childhood memories are related to puppets that instead of being childish or funny or cute, they take on very dark properties. From Chucky to the Gremlins, the guys from Labyrinth that throw their heads around, uh, Slappy from Goosebumps, Talky Tina from The Twilight Zone, the clown yeah. from Poltergeist, Annabelle, uh, Billy from Saw. 
Now, let's take all those feelings and add them to our thoughts about voodoo dolls. Uh, we're not going to dive deep here, but the concept of voodoo dolls is more of a literary trope than an actual practice of those who historically practice voodoo. The concept is this. A scary witch or warlock uses a doll that has a magically has been magically imbued with the likeness of its intended victim. The practitioner then sticks a pin in the doll, which affects the human version in horrible ways. A twist of a doll's arm and the human's arm breaks. A twist of the doll's neck and... So let's take all these feelings and understandings, our own relationships with puppets. Uh, before we delve into the puppet master himself, what are some of your fond or maybe not so fond memories of uh, puppets themselves? I already got mine out of the way. Although I will say I did enjoy Punch and Judy stuff uh, as a kid, just like modernized versions of it. And I did go out and buy that Neil Gaiman Punch and Judy book at one point. It's not all bad. I think I was really drawn to the puppets in The Sound of Music. I wanted, like, those extensive, elaborate scenes where it's like, oh, they can puff out their cheeks and things like that. Like, uh, if I could do Lonely Goat Herd by myself with my own set of puppets, um, that'd be great because I don't want the Von Trapp children. Um, they can stay home. <laughs> I just want their puppet set. Um, it was just so fun. So I don't have a whole lot of negative feelings towards puppets, um, but we'll see where I am after this trial. I mean, I, I, I remember working an event and there was a woman selling dolls and I knew my grandmother loved dolls. And uh, I said, oh, I'm going to get my grandma a doll. And the woman's like, okay, um, but you can't take her earrings off. I was like, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, she doesn't like it. And I'm like, who? <laughs> and she said her name. And I'm like, all right. And she goes, and you have to call her. And then she went through this list. And and I, and then I was stuck with the doll. <laughs> I was like, um, so besides uh sharing Steve's uh fear or discomfort growing up with Twilight Zone episodes of Talkie Tina and even that ventriloquist one, I forgot the episode name. You Steve, I don't know if you remember that one. Um, yeah, they've always kind of creeped me out. I will add, I, I think more so for me growing up, it was the idea of you being made into a puppet that freaks me out. Yeah. And, you know, in my case, listening to my mom's stories on my grandmother who practiced, practiced espiritismo, which is basically seances uh, and or which is shared with uh, Yoruba based um, Santeria uh, religion. Uh, allowing her body to be the vessel for the Orisha, where you have no control and either souls speak through you or the Orisha rides you and you becoming then a puppet. I think that scared me more than uh, Talkie Tina coming to life and coming to my room. <laughs> I grew up extraordinarily fond of puppets, but you know, when we mentioned the Muppets, I smile huge because I think of the old show where they're singing with the celebrities, but then we think of the horror movies, uh, the, the dolls coming to life with eyes, these ideas of like things in human figure who are endowed by other world energies, like really freak us all out. And the puppet master is all of those tropes. There's never a happy story about the puppet master with his puppets. He's always creepy every time. <laughs> Yeah, I think I have, I think the technical term is the delightful word, papaphobia. <laughs> I, I, I have papaphobia and I think it stems from childhood that I we had, you know, puppets, little hand puppets in, in my home. And 
the concept of them being both alive and dead, like they were kind of floppy, you know, the little puppets were just inanimate. And then a family member would pick them up, stick their hand up the, you know, and, and then they became alive. And I was like, and then they would take them off. And as a very young child, I would like see the discarded puppets and we'd be like, is it, is it going to move? Is it, you know, is it alive? Is it dead? Is it, and, and that, I think, I don't know. I carry that with me, that kind of, there's that creepy factor of this sort of the, the living dead, this inanimate thing that becomes inanimate or becomes animated when you least expect it. So uh, with that said, of course, I love the Muppets, but I never made the connection to them actually being puppets or controlled by someone else. They, they were like for reals, but those puppets, those hand puppets, I still, I find them terrifying because you never know whether it's, you know, when it's going to start moving again. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I find them creepy. I, I feel like I'm drawing a line between all of the things because I love action figures and toys. I love like representation of things. I love the Muppets. I love, I binge read goosebumps as a child. So like the voodoo dolls and the, the punching someone with pins and, and the shrunken heads and the, the demon possessed ventriloquist. But like when I see it in real life, I hate it. When I see a puppet that looks like a, like a with a human face, no, I'm not interested in it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hang in this room anymore. I'm leaving. Bye. You had a great party. I went to a friend. He was my improv coach for a little while. He had done some puppeteer, like some puppeting, I guess. He was, uh, and he had a named puppet. His name was Brian. And like, I couldn't get over it. I was like, no, I can't. We can't have rehearsal here. Brian is staring through my soul. I I don't I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to be here anymore. So it's it's just like it feels weird to interrogate that that that's where I draw the line. That's it. When it looks like a human and it has just too much reality to it, it triggers scary feelings. I love these conversations because you don't think about your feelings about puppets until we sit down and talk about it. And every listener out there is going, oh, yeah, that one puppet really creeped me out. I remember reading that the autobiography of Candace Bergen once. Her father was Edgar Bergen, who had the famous puppets Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd and others. He was on vaudeville and early movies uh, and her sharing her feelings about those being such a huge part of her childhood. Uh, it's, it's really interesting when we consider this stuff. Uh, so we're going to jump into the puppet master. The cover of Fantastic Four number eight features an all-new threat, a man with a wide toothy smile and painted on eyes with bizarrely sloping eyebrows and the darkest, most carefully arranged eyelashes. He looks like a ventriloquist dummy turned to life, but this is the puppet master manipulating the Fantastic Four on the stage beneath him with strings. He yells on the cover, Obey me, my puppets, for my will is your will. You shall never escape your new master. We open the book to find the puppet master manipulating a small puppet through a scaled model of the city inside his apartment, as he is enticing the man to jump to his death. A truly frightening image, this man able to kill from inside the walls of his own apartment. As the story continues, we learn that this is Philip Masters, a man who lives in the New York City apartment with an assortment of puppets. His stepdaughter, Alicia Masters, lives with him as well, and she is blind and thus unaware of his crimes. It turns out he uses radioactive clay, which again, we go back to the atomic age. We keep talking about this on my show and the idea of things imbued with atomic radiation. He uses radioactive clay to sculpt puppets who must obey his will. And here's the thing to realize about this clay right away. It comes from the base of Mount Wundagore, 
And Mount Wundagore was the mountain that trapped the essence of the evil chaos god Chiton in it for centuries. And so the soil is tainted, it's devilish, and it contains evil. And we will learn very much later that this clay may have a will of its own. At the height of his power in this initial appearance, we see Philip Masters grab his prize puppet, one of himself, which is dressed in kingly robes and clutching a scepter and wearing a crown. He says, I have returned in order to manipulate my greatest puppet of all. I wish you could see it, Alicia. It is a small figure of me, but not as I am now. No, it is the puppet master, ruler of all the world. Now that I have tested my power and know that it works, I can do anything. I can control armies, nations, and anything. Kings and dictators will do my bidding. Do you hear me, Alicia? My first official act will be to tear down the United Nations, for it will no longer be needed. The puppet master will control the destiny of nations. The rulers of all lands will be at my beck and call. I will have but to make a puppet of any man in order to become his master. I will be supreme. None will be mighty enough to defy me. Even the Fantastic Four will be the slaves of the puppet master. Later in Marvel Team-Up number 6 by Jerry Conway and Gil Kane in 1972, we learn the origin of the puppet master for the first time. In his own words, It began several years ago, near a town called Watershed Lake. I was a younger man, almost idealistic, together with my closest friend, a colleague from my university days. I worked to discover the so-called building blocks of life. It was a quest that went astray, for there was more involved than my mere friendship for Jacob Rice. There was the matter of his wife and child, and the jealousy which filled me, filled me when I thought of him receiving her love, a love which I wanted but could never hope to have. The pain grew and grew. They never knew what those evenings at dinner cost me. They never knew that a burning resolve had caught fire in my breast, a resolve to destroy what Jacob and I built together, for in my frustration, I could think of no other way out. And one night, when I'd planned to be alone in our lab, it happened. He'd seen a light from the road below. He was concerned that something was wrong. But when he saw what I was doing, he at last understood, and I struck him again and again and again. We struggled in the darkness, while behind us, the vats containing our precious radioactive clay continued to bubble and boil, building to critical mass. Finally, I pushed him back. His head hit a jutting rail, and it was done. Can you believe that I never meant it to happen the way it did? How could I have known that his wife and child would choose that moment to leave their car, to step directly in the blast of the exploding facility? Somehow I survived. The mother was uninjured, though unconscious. As I stood watching, trembling with guilt and self-disgust, the young girl opened her eyes, stared up at me, stared, unseeing. It was the clay, the radioactive clay. I swore I'd undo what I'd done, but even then I knew I never would. The mother never knew how Jacob died. She accepted my professed love, and knowing the child needed a father, she married me a year later. Lord, how I labored to reformulate the precise mixture of clay and isotope. Several times I came close, but when the child's mother died, something twisted inside me. I discovered that puppets formed from certain clay mixtures could control the minds of their real-life counterparts. Alicia, you must forgive me. I loved you then and I loved you still, but I've been a weak man, a terribly, terribly weak man. So there are four things we need to understand about this guy right away. <laughs> some of it's directly stated and some of it's subtext. Number one, he's a little man with a very dark side. He has a violent streak and a desire to rule the, rule the world. Number two, 
He is obsessed with the love of Alicia Masters, and he wants to be the center of her world. Number three, the reason he's obsessed with Alicia is because, in my interpretation, he is super gay, and he murdered the man that he loved one night. And that's Jacob Rice. Uh, I think the original story I just read was meant to be him in love with the mother of Alicia, who he never uses her name. but Just calls you, her the mother. Yeah, when you read it from a queer lens, it's just, he's just, it's it's real gay. <laughs> Once the mother died, I moved on. <laughs> like, What? And number four, the reason he murdered Jacob Rice is because much like Spiegel with the evil ring because becoming Gollum, the dark radioactive clay turned Philip into the puppet master. Let me hear some of your thoughts on the origins of uh, Philip Masters, if you will. I'll come out and say it. You're right. He's so gay. Like, absolutely. He has no regard for this woman. He says he's jealous. He's jealous of the love for Jacob. He wishes that it was his love that he had for Jacob. He wished that they were in a relationship. He feels very guilty about his frustration building to the point where he could see no way out but to kill his lover and destroy their work together, which is an incredibly gay thing to do. <laughs> I'm going to destroy our legacy. But yeah, he feels this like overpowering guilt to take care of her. And once the mother is out of the way, he basically steps into the role of being Jacob and himself, you know, taking care of this girl who now carries his name instead of Jacob's. It's also weirdly akin to the origin of the High Evolutionary, which we covered recently on my show. It's, yeah. And it's like the fact that they're both tied to Wondergore. It's like, is Catan like a primordial gay spirit? He's he's like, a primordial, primordial homophobe. He draws the gays, kills one, and turns the other evil. <laughs> you know, that's totally fair. Like, if you're an enemy of Wanda Maximoff, then you might actually be a homophobic spirit. <laughs> uh, Stephanie. <laughs> all right, so first of all, uh, today we learned the Puppet Master is actually Irish. Thank you, Chad. Yeah, you're <laughs> welcome. My my voice was started one way, and then it went to, like, three other accents. He's from I, the I, Irish part of Transia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so let me tell you something, Chad, and now Steve. <laughs> so, Chad, when you snuck that part in about um, actually, he's super gay, I think this was you're like, blah blah blah. We'll I'll see you soon, by the way. He's super gay. We were standing in Times Square, I was saying goodbye to you with Seth Martell, and like, even Seth Martell rolled his eyes. All right, Seth Martell's my witness, like, he was like, Oh, come on, all right. I'm like, it is possible for this man to actually love a woman. Right. But I said, I'm going to, you know, go to the original comic and I'm going to, you know, see, I'm going to read about it. I will say, <laughs> besides what you shared, I can see how that can be interpreted in this story. In particular, if you look at the art, um, when he's revealing there was the matter of his wife and child. And he, the, the panel kind of like shows the wife and child, though, but you first see him, Jacob, right? So, um, you know, like, I can see that this was the, what, 60s, 70s. You're not going to be totally, you know, open about this. I, I can see that. I think if they played around with bolding certain letters in that page where he's, you know, revealing uh, the love. And I think it was if he bolded her in or instead of him or one of the two. Anyway, I'll give you some room on that. Um, <laughs> but my immediate reaction when you said that to me was like, what? Um, but I, I can see that. It makes me more fond of him when we read the lavender marriage into all of it. <laughs> he's also the kind of he's the kind of gay that is super easy for me to read. Every time he's like hyper misogynist, I'm like, yeah, misogynist gay, classic. North Star grew out of that. This guy just got worse. Like very self-hating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other thoughts on the early origins or portrayal of the puppet master, Daryl. The language that's used when he's talking about Jacob's relationship with 
who would become his wife that he just calls the mother, um, which is a weird way to call your dead wife. But um, it's a very passive, like, um, I thought of him receiving her love. Like, it's, it's not active, it's passive language, which stands out to me having just... Have, have, I had to edit a book. So um, I got a lot of comments about language choices and things like that and how you're phrasing certain things. That's a unique way of how it's phrased. Um, also, receiving her love is like in the same category as like the term lovemaking. Like it's very 1970s. Um, <laughs> like he he definitely wanted to like make love to Jacob. There was no fucking involved. Like, he wanted to make love to him. Um, so, that's gross. Um, his intention... Uh, everything about his intentions towards Jacob is re real gross. Real, real questionable. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I'm tremendously fond of the character of Alicia Masters, who is now the Thing's wife in the comics. She's an accomplished sculptress. She's an incredible character who's had a lot of really deep, beautiful exploration. To give her this character as the father, because she's very much an Alicia Masters supporting character, uh, or he is, I mean, uh, to give her this kind of evil sculptor who is, uh, you know, responsible for her blindness, but also really genuinely loves her, but also wants to conquer the world. But a lot of his motivations are related to her happiness. Uh, it's an interesting kind of uh, uh, space to take it because he's the evil stepdad in a lot of ways. Uh, and he represents for her uh, in the Fantastic Four comics, uh, the thing that the, you know, the thing has to pull her away from this evil influence in order to give her the happy life, kind of. Uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, Justin, go ahead. He, he just doesn't know how to express his love and it only comes out as violence. It comes out as violence to Alicia. It comes out as violence to Jacob. He just makes nice trinkets, nice toys for people and he wants to share his feelings and emotions. Honestly, I love his power and the ability, like, like where it comes from, the, the Wondagore tie-in, the fact that it's this radioactive clay that the more he used, the more it manipulated him into this dark shade of himself that he wasn't able to do anything positive with it. Not that you really could do anything positive with, you know, you're given a, a, a pension for creating manipulatable versions of other people. I feel like there's no way that that can go other than evil supervillain. Like, like you made the guys and now what are you going to do with them? Oh no, they're just going to live their lives. No, he wanted to love and wanted to be loved. And that's, that's how I'm going to read it from now on. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Uh, let me continue. Uh, Philip Masters seems to lose himself in the magical world of his toys. The one area of his life where he has control. He can attach strings to figures and bid them to do his will completely. Uh, J.M. DeMatteis explored this character very deeply in Silver Surfer, which is not an area we're going to cover in the trial today. But let me read one more uh, point of the narration. It all started when his uncle Andrew gave him a whittling knife. He picked up a piece of wood, began carving away as if he'd been doing it all his life. And when he was done, he made a three-inch tall cowboy, complete with guns and spurs. The child soon discovered that, given a little time, he could whittle up anything under the sun. A dog, a cow, the Eiffel Tower, Roy Rogers and Trigger, Captain America and Bucky. He wasn't a very popular little boy. In fact, most of the kids in the neighborhood hated him. But he could always transfix them, if only for a little while, with his magic hands. In time, he became, began experimenting with clay. And what had been a hobby became a passion. The clay had spirit. The clay had life. The clay vibrated in his hands and guided his every move. 
So what if he had no friends? If his father was cold and distant, his mother a drunken hysteric? He had his clay, and that's all that mattered. Uh, Jam de Mateus later outlines that the puppet master had an, has an addictive relationship with this radioactive clay, that it, it has affected him, made him want to use it more, made him want to do bad things. Another quote, years ago, he discovered the radioactive clay's ability to resonate in the human psyche, control minds, bend wills, and perhaps in its own way, it bent his mind, twisted his will. There are times when Philip Master can't tell where the clay ends and he begins. Shortly after this, we get a story where Alicia Masters, who is able to see again during this time, travels back to the year 1947, and she meets her own father, a young uh, Jacob Rice and a young Philip Masters. And she tries warning her father that Philip is one day going to kill him, but Jacob doesn't believe her. Philip does, however, and he confesses to the time travel Alicia, not knowing who she really is. Now I'm tempted to go full Irish. I've always felt... <laughs> I've, I've always felt there was something inside me, something twisted, something wrong. If it wasn't for my puppets, when I'm molding my little figures out of clay, all the darkness inside me, all the strange and terrifying urges go away. A few issues later, we get another amazing description. Being alone is nothing new to Philip Masters, the caption says. A Balkan immigrant whose cultural difference and, re and reclusive personality made it different for him, excuse me, made it difficult for him to form friendships in America. He spent most of his childhood alone. He remained a social outcast through most of his college years until he met Jacob Rice. Uh, thoughts on uh, the early origins of the Puppet Master and or his connection to the radioactive clay? I feel like that's where I was getting at in the last point was just the influence over him is so interesting to me that this idea that he is, he is bonded with almost like a venom, almost like a, you know, like this thing that calls out to him and drives his actions. You'd imagine that the seed for his actions is still there, but it's amplified in this negative way because of this intertwining bond with the clay. I, I would be really interested to see some kind of future version where he he physically becomes clay-like in formation and i don't know but it's just the the melding of the two is really interesting there's a there's almost an interpretation by some writers where he's just pure evil and by others where he's a man who's trying to conquer the clay in some ways or the influence of chiton and i think Ooh. one of the things we're gonna have to establish as a jury in our own minds is how much of this is the clay and how much of this is him uh susan do you have thoughts on this and as you were reading, I just kept circling around his connection to the clay and to his daughter. And I and thinking about, you know, we were talking earlier about his his obsessive love for her and how sometimes that seems to direct his menace, his violence and so forth. And yet I, I feel and, and in those sort of situations and the influence of the clay, I become more sympathetic to him. And we'll get into this in the trial, but. I also think about sort of the more recent incarnations where he's just like making slave puppet women. And I'm like, yeah. what has that got to do with Alicia? Like that, I mean, like I understand, yes, you don't want her to marry thing or whatever, whatever. Like I don't agree with it, but at least I could understand the logic. But these other iterations where he's just, you know, making these slave women and delighting in it. And 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 then I think, no, um, but then again, it could be it could be the clay. I don't 
no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm undecided. Dan Slott recently, well, recently, a few years ago, married uh, Alicia and Thing. And in the Fantastic Four comics, we've seen Alicia use the radioactive clay to control her father at one point uh, to control other people. And there's this kind of question of she's doing it for the right reasons, but is she allowing the influence to extend into dark mm -hmm. places? It's an interesting thing to do mm -hmm. with the character. In the new uh, FF by Ryan North, we're not seeing a lot of that explored, but she is getting some incredible exploration as kind of a core member of the team at this point, which is mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. oh, we'll, we'll get back to that in my, in my little uh, point, FYI. So yeah, we yeah. can... <laughs> Uh, other thoughts on uh, the connection to the clay or his early origins? The idea of him is the lonely immigrant. Uh, the JM, JM loves to take a complicated villain and explore them to to firmly center this guy in the late forties, early fifties, uh, and to put him as the, like the lonely immigrant who only found one connection. Furthers that kind of gay exploration for me. The guy who can't be himself until he finds the one person he can be himself around, but he hates himself so much that he beat this man to death. Right? Like there's a there's a, a trope there that we see often explored, but it's subtext because it's certainly never been uh, stated on the page. And there's never been a romantic relationship for the puppet master, except that one appearance where he married a woman and had a stepchild. We'll cover that in a while. It was a weird one. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sorry, Chad. No, no, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean that was that's what really uh, you know stuck with me. The social outcast story is like it's the same story we see in, in our non-mutant, non-Marvel monsters. You know, reasons why you know we just they do things with guns and bombs. You know, yeah. um, when does that become a source of sympathy? Oh, you know, sometimes it depends on your race and whether it's the oh, how did you become like this? You know, versus you're just a monster in our non-comic society. Um, and then, you know, you question what, at what point does the addict, whether he's addicted to this clay or not, uh, radioactive clay, when does the addict hold responsibilities uh, for their actions, you know? Um, you know, that's a big question. Um, Stanley and Jack Kirby did this with a lot of their villains. The two that come to mind first and foremost are the Mole Man. The world was unkind to me, so I've turned evil, you know, depending on how you define evil. Uh, another character is Dr. Octopus, where the world misunderstood me, and then this accident happened, and now I'm connected to these arms that have a mind of their own. Uh, it's interesting to consider. I love the depth they put into their villains. They're not just evil for evil's sake, which is what makes these trials uh, so fun. Uh, I am ever impressed by the sheer number of characters that those two created. Puppet Master is one of their very first. He has just over 100 appearances across his six-plus decades of existence. He's mainly a Fantastic Four guy, but he's pretty much fought everyone from the Silver Surfer to the Hulk to the X-Men a few times. He's usually portrayed as a supervillain. He's obsessed with power and revenge. A shocking number of his stories have something to do with his desire to create some sort of happy life for Alicia Masters, who might be the only person that he cares about. Sometimes he's the lackey of the mad thinker or the purple man, but on occasion he's the murderer, the rapist, the human trafficker. And despite all of this, I'm very fond of this weird little guy. I really am. Uh, I have him on my wall, uh, drawn by uh, my, Michael Dialitis, and it's beautiful. Uh, at the end of every Puppet Master story, we see him usually either violently killed, but always miraculously surviving, or horribly injured or mutilated, 
or with broken fingers and crushed hands, which is a thing that happens more than once for this guy. One time he was even killed and then remade out of the radioactive clay, which is a crazy story on its own. His powers are elusive, but they are magic-based. He uses evil chiton clay, which is always called radioactive, and he makes figures and then uses magic to take over the minds of his intended targets. You get the idea that he has to maintain his will, and he can only focus on a certain number of things. Characters that have a little bit stronger will can break away. Uh, usually this means he's literally just smashing his action figures together for fun to make them fight, which is always a good time. But sometimes yes. he also kills and sometimes he takes teenage girls and takes away their minds and tries to sell them to men who want to rape them. So he's clearly evil, but there's also some heart in there and at times something very redeemable about him. Uh, any final thoughts on the Puppet Master before we jump into the trial portion? Uh, we did talk a little bit about how um, he is the cause of Alicia's blindness. I want to say before we get into it that it's important that he's also the impetus for her to start sculpting. Yes. Because he himself is a sculptor who works specifically with the radioactive clay, and the radioactive clay both caused her blindness and also is probably among the earliest stuff she started practicing with. She was a painter before the blindness came. And afterwards, immediately took to, you know, sculpting under the tutelage of the puppet master. So there's this sort of like subtextual legacy there in where like Alicia is just always in danger of becoming the new puppet master or maybe like a heroic puppet master. There's something there to that. I love that. We uh, we also see him very fond of her. He never seems to resent her success. He wants her to be happy. But like many fathers, his definition of happiness is different than, <laughs> than what hers is. But he, uh, he manipulates her at times. He calls her names at times. But he never seems to uh, resent her, which is an interesting thing. Uh, so with that, let us commence with the trial of the Puppet Master. We are not covering all of his appearances. We are moving chronologically, but we're picking some key sections. Uh, he will cover three of our five uh, trial points for our episode today. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with our episodes, you know what we're talking about here. Uh, as we are going through this, each of our jury members will be voting on a scale from one, which is the least amount, up to five, which is the most amount of evil or culpability in each section of the trial. Uh, we're not giving uh, specific assignations to what those are. We're just using a one to five scale. And you get to interpret that morally however you choose to for the individual jury members. Uh, so with that, let us... Uh, commence with the trial of Philip Masters, the puppet master. Trial point one is called The Hands of the Puppet Maker. The assigned jury member here is my friend Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. And Stephanie, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, we first meet the puppet master attempting to force a man to commit suicide. When the Fantastic Four stopped him, he vowed revenge. After making a puppet of the thing, he captured the invisible girl using ether and then disguised his own stepdaughter, Alicia, as the invisible girl, cutting and coloring her hair and making her an FF costume. And then he sent her back among the FF in disguise, which is a ridiculous 1960s story. The puppet master controlled the thing and attacked the Fantastic Four, but a chemical accident restored the thing back to his human form, briefly breaking that control. Puppet master then forced the warden of the local prison to release all of the prisoners. The Fantastic Four attacked, but the Puppet Master had a big robot puppet fight them and a flying horse puppet to escape on. He was very elaborate. There was a lot of clay back at the beginning. Soon, while ranting about his plans for power, he tussled with Alicia and went plummeting out of the window. Puppet Master tried staying out of the action in his next caper as he forced the Submariner to try to kill the Fantastic Four, but they survived, and he was seemingly killed by a sea monster. 
He was soon back, though, and he focused on getting Alicia to break up with her new boyfriend, The Thing. Puppet Master controlled the Human Torch with a puppet and made him try to kiss Alicia, which (laughs) would make The Thing jealous. But The Torch fought The Thing until the two realized that they couldn't actually hurt each other. So the Puppet Master went back to the scene of their fight and ended up with his hands badly burned at the end. Thing backed down from beating the Puppet Master when Alicia begged him to spare her father. In order to set a trap for the Fantastic Four, the Mad Thinker recruited the Puppet Master to build a puppet of Professor X, which they could then control to convince the X-Men to fight the Fantastic Four. Uh, We've covered this on my show. It's a wild story. The heroes uh, fought a series of Mad Thinker traps, including the awesome android, and they destroyed the Puppet Master's Xavier puppet. Then the villains escaped in an airship. Puppet then on his puppet master then on his own made another puppet of Professor X out of a radioactive clay penis. It really does look like a penis, <laughs> but it just fucking doesn't work. So he randomly turned on the TV and he saw a confrontation between the civilian X Men and the Mimic. They took over the mind of the he took over the mind of the Mimic, made him fight the X Men. As soon the X Men tracked the puppet master down, and he unleashed uh, his robotic defender puppet against them. But again, he was defeated when the Angel grabbed the Mimic doll out of his hands. Later, the puppet master controlled the Hulk, forcing him to fight uh, and try to kill Namor. The things kept going wrong, and the puppet master was soon defeated when Namor accidentally sent a small tidal wave over his base. Puppet master biding his time and plotting soon saw a spaceship crash in the water outside his home. He investigated and found the sentient alien robot Balix inside. Puppet Master named Balix the Monstroid, and he built a puppet to control it, then had it raid the Baxter building, but Spider-Man and the Vision defeated him. Uh, Shortly after, Alicia Masters recognized the Puppet Master as her stepfather, and we finally learned the origins of the Puppet Master for the first time. Philip confessed to murdering Alicia's father and begged for her forgiveness, but soon fled from the Thing and Spider-Man, then teamed up with the Mad Thinker again and tried to kill the heroes. When the Mad Thinker sent a robot to taunt Alicia, the Puppet Master turned against his ally, hitting him with a wrench with Spider-Man's help. Once the heroes were clear, Puppet Master blew up the building, leaving the heroes to think that he and the Mad Thinker were dead. Then, the Puppet Master was rescued from the explosion by Radeon, who is a guy with radiation powers who can apparently make the clay stronger, and he started a puppet show in New York City where he took on the name H-Duty. Uh, as in Howdy Duty, where he wore a blonde wig to perform for the crowd, and this wig on him is truly terrifying. <laughs> After taking control of Thor and sending him to fight the Fantastic Four, the Puppet Master was soon defeated by the Aquarian. Uh, don't worry about that guy. While imprisoned, the Puppet Master used some hidden radioactive clay to make a puppet of Power Man and then forced the hero to break him out of prison. Alicia Masters was there. She confronted her father, and Puppet Master admitted she was the only person that he loves. The Thing fought Luke Cage. Puppet Master uh, gave up escaping in order to keep Alicia from falling to her death during this very dramatic fight. And thus is the early history of the Puppet Master. Uh, Stephanie, I know you had a lot to jump into here. I'm excited to hear your thoughts, uh, and thank you. The key issues in this section are Fantastic Four uh, 8, 14, and 28, Strange Tales 116, X-Men Volume 127, Tales to Astonish 100, Marvel Team-Up 5 and 6, and Marvel 2-in-1 number 9. Let me turn it over to uh, Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos for the prosecution and the defense. All right. Well, first, I'm going to start out with a little message 
for Marvel. Marvel consider becoming a sponsor for this podcast because I guarantee you there's at least two subscriptions a year on account of me not canceling my Marvel Unlimited trial to crank <laughs> for these episodes because Chad has me reading these older comics, has me doing Hulk submariner shit i don't normally read but i enjoy once i study so like shout out to sponsoring because I, I and i'm sure your listeners once they hear this like i gotta really read these older comics all right that was a commercial i'm going to go into character with my blue blue light glasses for prosecutor okay so the hard shit of being a villain i'm the prosecutor is that your crimes are scripted so my arguments have receipts, ladies, gentlemen, and people of the jury. Here are the crimes and series of life actions that show that the vile man known as the puppet master is a criminal and is unredeemable simply by looking at this earlier section of his villain life. I can I can roll with this, right, Chad? Because this is how I did my notes. Yes, All right. you can. <laughs> Didn't ask permission. All right. So we have here a villain that is not simply a man with multifaceted grudges carried out in violence, unrequited love, George Costanza levels of not letting go of slights and defeats, obsession, but also a man who commits random acts of violence without feeling, leaving no room for sympathy because of a boo-hoo origin story. We are introduced to the senselessness of his violence when he chose to make a random guinea pig of a stranger in Fantastic Four issue eight, a man he calls a little nobody. He's making to jump off a bridge simply to test out his new powers. There is no revenge story here. It's just pure violence. Social societal menace. The puppet master has demonstrated his risk to society in the same issue with breaking out the prisoners of a state prison and holding the Warren captive. Shows no redemption. Even when his hand is burnt by the torch in a uh, I like to call her Alicea because I, for some reason, think she's Puerto Rican. Alicia, Alicia, whatever, pleads to the thing for his mercy in Strange Tales 116. The puppet master is already planning his revenge as Alicia pleads for him. Global risk. He wants to get rid of the UN, Fantastic Four number eight, sounding like the handyman at my dorm at the University of Michigan. Feeding fears going there, a school and state I only knew from the term Michigan militia, holla, go blue, but I got exposed to new ways of thinking, but that's what it reminded me of. Flight risk. He has a Pegasus puppet to escape. He can't be rehabilitated, so save your liberal tears. He's released from a mental institution and walking out its doors is already planning next villandom. Fantastic Four number 14. He's worse when villain paired. Frustrated by his impotence in real life, he pairs up with villains like The Thinker, which is a prototype of ChatGTP, by the way, as he says he can learn anything, predict anything, and accomplish anything. All of us will soon be puppet masters with The Thinker, and then surprise fuckers, guess what? The puppet ma Who's the puppet master now? I think this is a tangent. Using his own words here, no invention is good or bad of, it, of itself. It's only the use to which mankind puts it that really matters. I don't know where that was going. Which is okay. Which is relevant to both points. Here, the puppet master chooses to use his abilities for bad. Wrapping up. Superhero risk. He pits heroes against e each other and we need them to protect society. Hulk versus Namor, Fantastic Four versus X-Men, Thing versus Torch, Spider-Man versus Vision. A man that tries to accommodate his physical shortcomings by controlling bodies he wishes he could possess. Hulk, Thing, big bulky bodies, Namor, manliness, etc. 
He harbors UFOs instead of sharing this information with the U.S. government. Marvel team up number five. He's a nuclear risk. He teams up with Radeon, the atomic man. Although he proves to be the most chicken villain I've ever read in the Marvel universe, he runs away from his first flight, first panel, and I think Marvel team up number five. In conclusion, then, the puppet master is a master indeed of none except malice, where his feeble attempts to compensate for something lacking in his inner life pose a danger to society. A man with a record showing he has no interest in redemption, only in an un unending drive to succeed in evil. The prosecutor rests, or prosecution, or whatever. I'm not a lawyer. All right, we ready for defense? Is that how this works? I'm so ready. <laughs> okay, pink glasses for some sympathy. All right. Oh my God, these have Zoom. I cannot see. All right, we're gonna do this anyway. <laughs> defense. Oh wait, lower voice. Defense. Ladies and gentlemen and people of the jury, the case against my client, Philip Masters, is skewed with misinformation and, quite frankly, bias of the prosecutor, who had a neighbor who looked just like him who tried without success to lure her into his apartment with a bunch of creepy-looking dolls when she was <laughs> nine. As well as our conditioning as a society on body types and judgment of char on character. All right, side note, though, this is the prosecutor speaking. He kind of looks like you know, if you are a woman that fantasizes about being a sex worker, but have no need, and you think you're going to have this fun life, like that's the client you're really going to get. All right. Sorry. That was the side note. Um, back to defense. Firstly, if Philip Master, Master's puppets are so dangerous, why does nothing happen to the person when they break and fall or are left to drift in the sea, as happens at every issue's end? The heroes are, are fine. They don't shatter nor drown. This demonstrates no clear evidence his puppets cause bodily harm. His actions in Marvel team-up number five provided much-needed healing for the vision. By use of his puppet strings, he got rid of his headache and the voices in his head. As for his violent streak, he couldn't even hurt the mad thinker when given the opportunity to bat a wrench against his head. And Philip Masters shows remorse for shortcomings of his past, haunted by his friend's death. As for acts of crimes against Namor, Namor in Fantastic Four number four says he remembers nothing and in fact states a terrible weight has been lifted from me. This is not a thought bubble, but a pre-Twitter sharing of feelings aloud, which by the way, social media is always used against you on trials, FYI. So he didn't suffer no victim here. Philip Masters is a man isolated as an immigrant in a country he couldn't find a home in a man driven insane by living in a tiny Manhattan apartment with all his puppets, a victim of radiation poisoning, the real puppet master of his life. Yes, perhaps this is some serious case of self-loathing of sexual identity of a man not able to be himself and who hates himself so much that he exercises the control society has over his heart and behavior back onto them, twisted. But ladies and gentlemen and people of the jury, I bring to your attention reason of a doubt. I swear I'm wrapping up, Chad. This was not actually Philip Masters who committed any of these acts. It was, in fact, Alicia Masters. Alicia, right? Alicia, Alicia Masters. Herself is a talented sculptor with the nickname of Dollface by Thing. And not just a sculptor, she makes sculptures of the very heroes who are controlled in these issues, like the Torch and Strange Tales 116 and the Thing Fantastic Four 28. 
I propose her boyfriend, Thing, calling her dollface triggers her into this insanity and channels some inner evil or fucking compensation to resisting patriarchy. We cannot, without a doubt then, be convinced that Philip Masters is the real puppet master here. We can say, though, without a doubt, that he cannot be a villain at all, for he has absolutely no control of himself either, a fictional character at the whims of writers. Like us, he's the stuff of clay. I rest my case. Fabulous. Oh, my goodness. You're delicious. That was wonderful. Uh, I want to hear from you quickly, Stephanie. What was it like for you to read these old, old comics uh, from the point of view of this character? All right. As my eyes adjust, because I don't know really last <laughs> um, <laughs> I really enjoy them. You know, I appreciate the artistic style of that period. I'm able to understand these were different times. I'm, you know, horribly offended at other times. Um, you know, I'm as a prose writer first, I do appreciate the wordiness, the long stories, you know, the Chris Claremont kind of, uh, uh, writing and, and, you know, and it's such an insight in our gender norms and our everything norms at the time that you can kind of look back at and, you know, understand where the world's moved to. Thank you for that wonderful presentation. Let me turn it over to the jury. What questions or comments do you have on this section of the Puppet Master's history, particularly things that may help you with your vote today? Uh, I totally think he's guilty, but the idea that Alicia Masters can go by Dollface as her supervillain alias, I'm fucking here for. Oh, my <laughs> God. But no, he's a terrible person and did a lot of shady crimes. <laughs> I think that's, actually, I think that's great. I think we're we're advocating and manifesting the evolution of Alicia into a full-fledged villain or hero. In this section, the thing, uh, the thing, I shouldn't say the thing, that he admits to having killed Philip Masters, which is the one effective crime he committed. Uh, I mean, he created a lot of chaos, but we always on these trials go like, how much damage was really done? Because he just gets his ass kicked every time. Uh, so that's something for me to consider. Uh, but he did murder a man in uh, in a in a gay, jealous rage. Chad <laughs> yes. means Jacob Rice for the listener. He is Philip Masters. Oh, yes, that's what I meant to say. Part of I, uh, I think that it was probably, like, maybe involuntary manslaughter. It was an accident. Like, he didn't mean to do it. It was, like, just two men having a, a wrestling match, and that's what he was there for. And <laughs> an accident happened. And when the accident happened, he did the honorable thing, and actually married the freshly minted widow um <laughs> he's like so you're single right and he created a good home that you know produced this fantastic artist who's not a tortured artist at all um she's just you know naturally creative so i i mean i'm buying one side of this argument and he was a decent dad until he wasn't. I don't know. Uh, so I think the big question we got to ask is how much was the clay and how much was him? Uh, let's go ahead and vote in this section. Uh, Susan, would you vote first? One through five. Can you remind me which is like... like One one is the lowest, five is the most evil. Okay. As I often do in these trials, I find myself sort of ranking how egregious, you know, where it's like, oh, it was an accident, you know, like... Yeah. You know, and he apologized where, you know, yeah, the scale <laughs> is very different in our comic book world than the actual world. You know, um, I'm going to go Sorry for the murder. Oh. Right, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, manslaughter. Right. Involuntary manslaughter. Oops. Manslaughter. Involuntary. Like, ma right. Oopsies. I, I'm Would you gonna, like who among us? 
<laughs> I, I feel like there's much more evil coming up, so I want to save some room for that. So I'm going to go with a three. Uh, Steve? I'm also going with a three, um, mainly because our original uh, ranking score had been... that. I think that's appropriate. It would have been about the level where you'd say it was definitely illegal crimes, you know, def- definitely inappropriate stuff. I think I think a lot of crimes are committed and a lot of crimes that I am not super forgiving of, like driving people to suicide and, you know, like the subversion of their will, stuff like that. Um, but I do think early on, especially, and this is I'm maybe going to be controversial about the Puppet Master early on, especially, I feel like the clay plays a part. I don't know why I feel like he seems he seems really enthralled by the clay. He seems like a person that Alicia is often surprised that he is. Uh, and maybe it's just because she doesn't know about his crimes yet, but I'm a little more, more willing to be like, all right, at this point, he's starting to be affected. But the crimes themselves, in terms of like Marvel villain crimes, are not like super bad. Like, you know, it's enslaving and driving people to suicide, but he didn't cause 9-11, so Doom isn't going to shed one tear yet. It's a three for me as well. I'd go higher, but these really, these are fun battles. I get to see my favorite heroes, you know, mash up against each other, which is a great time. So it's a three for me. Uh, over to Daryl. I'm going to go with a three as well. Um, I think, you know, he could easily have a plea bargain on his hands, especially when it comes to murder, but some of the other things as well. Um, you have to think about his intent, which is what pushes it to three for me. Um, like he means to do some of these things. So it, he, he thought about it and he acted on it. Um, but it, it's not as terrible as it could have been considering his powers and his amount of clay. Uh, Justin and then Stephanie. It's a three for me. I think, you know, the crimes are there. They're small scale. They're not baby. They're not baby crimes. They are real crimes. There's murder and, and, and driven to suicide, manipulation of heroes. Like there, there's some some stuff. He's definitely getting jail time, but like there's he could have done a lot worse if he was much better at being a villain. And he's fun. So yeah, three. <laughs> uh Stephanie. Oh, I thought I just got to do both. All right. I'm I'm probably gonna say probably a three-two only in that we're gonna <laughs> learn when he's a five. I gotta like give some space. Um, yeah, so I'm with everyone else uh, on that. So that gives us an 18 out of 30. And let us move to trial point two, which we are calling Radioactive Clay. The assigned jury member here is Daryl Lawrence. After serving his time, the puppet master was released from jail with a few dollars to his name, and he immediately discovered that his clay was no longer radioactive. No! He went to the Fantastic Four and Alicia Masters during their holiday party and convinced them to return him to his homeland in Transia as a gift. So apparently he's been recycling his clay for the last 20 years, and now he needs more. The Who puppet is this master- a gift to you? <laughs> I'm your dad, Alicia. Be nice. Uh, Philip Masters uh, and the thing end up getting shrunk into a mini- miniature size by the sleeping childlike wizard Modred, who was in the care of Bova. And they had to escape from a realm of giant toys, basically. It's a really weird but also fun issue. In the end, Puppet Master seems to have made peace with the thing and Alicia. He also notes that he's been treating people like puppets uh, that he's used for the comfort, that he used for comfort in his own youth. In his most elaborate plot yet, the puppet master sought to give Alicia the life she'd always wanted, so he made a puppet of Doctor Doom and then forced him to capture the Fantastic Four and upload their minds into the toy town Littleville. (laughs) 
<laughs> where they lost their memories and had them replaced with new lives of contentment. The puppet master was soon discovered, and he realized that Doom had had him take over the mind of a robot instead, our Doombot. And then Doom used this chance to tra trap the Fantastic Four once and for all in Littleville, but of course they escaped. And then Puppet Master seizes control of this little city for a while. He stays there for a little bit. He has an adventure with the Micronauts, and then Doctor Doom crushed him with his palm at the end of that story. The Puppet Master then reconstituted his entire body out of radioactive clay, which made him more powerful than ever. The first thing he did was attack the Thing, controlling heroes like Wonder Man, She-Hulk, and Spider-Man, as well as many civilians. And then the Thing himself, before he battled the Thing in his own mind for control, but the Thing won and crushed that pile of clay that the Puppet Master had been animating. He lay as a pile of dust until a janitor swept him up. Hubris, hubris uh, and he was eventually reanimated by the Sphinx, who refused to team up with the Puppet Master and literally kicked him to the curb. Puppet Master was determined to get revenge on the Thing, who was then at the time wrestling full time, and Puppet Master took control of his sparring partner, queer icon D-Man. <laughs> uh, the Thing uh, quickly triumphed. He cornered the Puppet Master, who said all he'd wanted was for the Thing to stop dating Alicia. And the Thing told the Puppet Master that Alicia was now dating someone else. Although it was actually Elijah the Laser Fist, the scroll desired, uh, disguised as Alicia, who was dating the Human Torch. Anyway, that's continuity. Puppet Master promised to never attack him again, and the Thing let him go. When the Sphinx attacked the Thing, Puppet Master returned the favor by taking control of the Sphinx and making him kill himself by crushing the stone on his forehead, which temporarily killed the Sphinx. Hearing that Alicia, and again, it was actually a scroll, was getting married to the Human Torch, Puppet Master reluctantly teamed up with the Mad Thinker and the Wizard, and then made plans to kill the Human Torch, but only after the wedding was complete so that Alicia might be able to inherit his wealth. <laughs> Taking over the mind of Franklin Richards, the puppet master learned the details of the wedding, then went to the ceremony where he changed his mind at the last minute, took over the android Dragon Man, and made him attack the Mad Thinker and the Wizard instead of attacking the wedding. The next time he shows up in Power Pack, and this is not part of the trial, but he's married, and he has a stepson named Morty who enjoys making he enjoys making puppets for the boy of his favorite characters, like the quote adolescent microwave shell shocked amphibians, which is clearly a play of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But this marriage seems to be very short lived. Uh, it's like one issue and never referenced again. His marriage over somehow, Puppet Master was back in jail when he found a way to ascend to the, and I'm not joking, Puppet Dimension, where he was able to control sentient puppets and send them to Earth for a series of adventures, including committing crimes and saving others from crimes. He launched the muscular Master Puppet against She-Hulk, Louise Mason, and the Blonde Phantom, but they were able to defeat the puppets from the other dimension by literally cutting their strings, and the Puppet Master was exposed. Uh, we're definitely into the 70s and uh, like 80s <laughs> in these issues. The key issues here are Fantastic Four 170, Marvel 2 and 1 74, FF 236, Thing 5 and 6 and 34, FF 300, and Sensational She-Hulk number 47. Uh, let me turn it over to Daryl Lawrence. Um, so I have a stack of papers here. I am Puppet Master's public defender because his ass can't afford a lawyer. Um... <laughs> We're going to start with um, how he's merely an oaf and not a criminal. Um, sure, in Fantastic Four 170, he was controlling Luke Cage a little. 
Um, but his stepdaughter, Alicia, was in trouble and she was about to fall to her death and he stopped his evil doing to do something good. I think it balances out. Um, no one got hurt as a result. And uh, Luke Cage got a little experience on the Fantastic Four. So there's nothing wrong with the ultimate outcome of that. Um, Marvel 2 and 174. Okay, so we have Mark Grunewald writing this. Um, and in-universe, um, Alicia thinks that having the Jewish Ben Grimm send Puppet Master a Christmas card will mend some fences. And unfortunately, it doesn't. Um, a little cultural insensitivity there. Um, one, uh, maybe Ben doesn't want to get into the spirit of Christmas. Two, maybe the first olive branch you're reaching out with shouldn't be a card where Thing literally writes, I hope you get what is coming to you. Um, so Puppet Master reacts. And also, Puppet Master is a short king. He does say that he's five feet tall. So uh, um, he's feeling a little vulnerable. He's just getting released from prison. I mean, he got released because of good behavior. Come on, people. It It's not that hard to get on his side. And um, he, he interacted with Quasar um, at this party. Quasar had no problem with him. Um... We also get the Aquarian, who has to be some sort of bisexual icon at this point with that outfit. Um, we we don't refer to him as Wondar. He is the Aquarian, and he has a very deep Vion. Um, so he, he feels that he's amongst his people at this party, and all he wants is a trip home. That's all he wants. It might be because he has a little creative bug, and he found that his clay had gone bad while he was in prison. Um, so he wanted to replenish his supply to, you know, find that passion again. Now that he was outside of prison, he needed something to do. And um, by the way, the prison cell that we saw in Fantastic Four 170, draconian. It is stone walls. It is it, it is a castle keep that they keep him in. I the cruelty this man has been subjected to. Um, Fantastic Four 236. This is where Doom is going to Doom. And I'm sorry, are we trying to make him a criminal for trying to manipulate Dr. Doom? I, It's fine. I mean, Doom, to a degree, captured the Fantastic Four on his own. Um, there was sentience happening there. Doom knew what was happening. He's the one that actually imprisoned them in Littleville. Um, I'm not going to touch any more on that because that's Dr. Doom's fault. We're not concerned about it. Um, sure, Wonder Man was manipulated by Puppet Master Attacked, but, quote, matches him thrust for thrust. Who among us in this room wouldn't want to match Simon Williams thrust for thrust? Um, <laughs> he's... He, uh, um, doesn't get his pelvis broken. And um, he ultimately then gets destroyed and swept up by a janitor. I mean, it, he was doing his best that he really, his spirit was so vibrant after being crushed to death in his miniature form by Dr. Doom that he sought out some clay and uh, birthed himself. Um, for this, I should be paid more than a public defender salary because 
what a miraculous man that we have before us today. Um, the Sphinx asked for it, so uh, fuck the Sphinx. Um, crush that jewel. And uh, he, ultimately at the wedding, he's just trying to protect his own stepdaughter from the uh, scuzz bucket that is Johnny Storm. Um, Johnny Storm, notorious fuckboy, um, does not deserve mm -hmm. Alicia Masters. Mm -mm. And uh, then again, as we round this section out, when he encounters She-Hulk, um, the only bad thing that I can admit that he does is that he wants a dog drown. Um, R.I.P. Cuddles the Poodle. Um, aside from that, like, that's more negligence again than anything else. So I don't even know why we're here in this trial, because he should be given a medal and maybe some money and maybe a stash of gay porn. Um, that probably would have prevented a whole lot of what we just talked about. Um, I rest my case. What questions do you all have? Can you expand on the poodle? Like, I didn't know that, like, this is very concerning to me. Did, what, what happened there? Okay, so, um, Cuddles, um, how would be thy name? Was it trapped in a car that um unfortunately found a body of water and sunk the person was rescued the the driver was rescued from that car um unfortunately not time to get cuddles out um when you're faced with a human life or an versus an animal life in this situation i think the right call was made uh this is puppet master in his fun era <laughs> He's a uh, he's playing with his toys. There's a puppet dimension. He's I want to hear more about the puppet dimension. That's... He's creating Littleville. There's some really fun yes. concepts here. And the worst uh, thing he does in this section the, was the... he he killed the Sphinx, right? Who came who came back anyway? It was everybody hates the Sphinx. Everybody I know hates the Sphinx. The the puppet verse, um, which is probably coming to a Disney Plus show in about 2029. 20, um, it's a bunch of marionettes on strings that are connected to nothing. The strings still go up as if they are being manipulated. Um, so you have to think about it. the marionette type puppets are within this puppet verse. So again, not really scary. They're actually doing their own thing, living their own puppet lives in the puppet verse. They're they're real stupid. <laughs> Uh, let's go ahead and vote in this section if we are feeling ready. Justin, do you want to go first here? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the dog, I, I'd honestly, I'm trying to, like, sift through and find find the real stuff. You know, the, the dog, the dog I'd put up there, I, I'm going three again. I'm going three again. I feel like enough details. Sphinx comes back. It's fine. Uh, Stephanie and then Susan. See, I kind of feel this is the two period, you know, I kind of, he was softer. Um, uh, I, I was under the impression he did good in that wedding. I wasn't aware of there was an ulterior motive, but maybe keep me ignorant so I could keep my two. Um, and I'm getting this vibe that he's a string astrophysical string theorist. Um, we're talking about strings and in string theory, we believe in like 11 dimensions or something like that. So I, I think he conserves society. So a two. Uh, I'm going with a, a three. I would have done a two, but RIP cuddles. That's an automatic point. I'm sorry. I, Yeah. So I'm going with the three. Uh, Steve? I'm going to give it a two for um, 
pretty much all the reasons that Stephanie gave. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't know much about the dog situation. It's a it's a one for me here. He's trying. I think this is the best he can do, guys. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, you know, I one is like innocent in my mind, and I don't know if I can give that to him as a person. But I think in these cases, you're right. It's a superhero one. That is that's true. I, I, I debated one. I will say that. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daryl. I I did want to look this up, and it wasn't even him that allowed Cuddles the Poodle to die. It was the puppet in the puppet verse. Um, you can see poor Cuddles is um, trapped there. Chad, you'll have to post this when the trial goes up. Um, <laughs> this poor the dog. The last we see is still alive in that car. I submerged, yes, dead, not quite. So Maybe Cuddles I think, is okay. I think one is fine then. Yeah, I'm going with a one. Well, like he couldn't uh, have. Can I can I change mine to two? Because yes. there was also there was another yeah. thing that I was thinking of that I didn't say about the fact that he essentially has withdrawals from his dependency on radioactive clay that is driving even any of the actions that he starts out with. So I, I, I'd like to I'd like to go down to two. I'm uh, automatically uh, lowering everyone's score one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can, I'm a two because now that I feel a lot better about cuddles. Thank you for that additional. Yeah, yeah. And, he and fights Doctor Doom. He fights the Wizard. He fights the Sphinx. Good man. Good job That's here. A good defense attorney here. And it, this is the rare issue that is not on Marvel Unlimited. I dug in my short box to read She-Hulk 47. I so. uh, I know you love your early 90s, man. Thanks for reading all that stuff. Uh, so that gives us a 9 out of 30 in that section. And then we go to the rough era. Here we go for trial point three. We call this section a very bad man. The assigned jury member here is Steve Duda. Despite some time trying to change his life and do good, the puppet master soon delved into his worst crimes yet. He kidnapped Dr. Sanders, an eye doctor, threatening to kill the man's family, and he forced the doctor to perform multiple operations on the eyes of Alicia Masters in an attempt to restore her eyesight. He kidnapped the invisible woman, using a puppet of her to make her come to him, and was determined to use her eyes for Alicia. But when Alicia helped Puppet Master escape, the Puppet Master pursued them with an axe. Uh, Alicia built a clay puppet of him and broke his hands. The Mad Thinker then built Puppet Master a device that, when injected with someone's DNA, would allow the Puppet Master to control that person from afar. They assembled a room of the Fantastic Four's greatest foes, and then the Puppet Master used the device to control one villain at a time into attacking the heroes, wearing them down. While forcing, trying to force Alicia to come with him, Puppet Master controlled Dragon Man into fighting the Thing, and the Thing easily defeated them both and briefly put them into stasis. But then the Puppet Master went very, very evil. He began controlling dozens of victims at a time, bringing many women against their will to a castle in Chile, where he could auction them off to the highest bidder. He staged a jailbreak, controlling soldiers to get more specimens, but failed to secure uh, the character's terminatrix and battle axe. I'm going to read his words here in my own voice. Welcome to my humble home. I am Philip Masters, although you may know me as the Puppet Master. I've retired that name, the whole life, really. One can only do battle, or excuse me, one can only battle the Fantastic Four so many times before one wishes for a more quiet and subdued existence. Now I am, well, I suppose the most fitting term is art dealer, interactive art, art that fulfills your desires, your every desire. Come, let us go up to the showroom, see anything you like. 
I have collected these women from around the globe. I have male stock, of course, but I find that they sell power, sell slower and usually for less. So what I do have on hand is to, excuse me. So what I do have on hand is put to put the other, is put to other uses, physical labor and the like, until an interested buyer comes along. I don't know if it will interest you or not. I suppose it depends on how into the technical side of your new hobby you want to get. But I recently found another source of the clay I've used all these years. It's stronger than what I'm used to working with, but it allows me a greater level of control over my art. Of course, the figure is yours with the purchase of my model. So see anything you like? And the puppet master takes the buyer into the next room where he's keeping superpowered women for sale among his victims. Dusk, Silverclaw, Stature, who is literally a teenager, Tigra, and he unpacks a new crate with another teenage girl inside, Aranya. Puppet master cruelly taunts the women, freeing one woman's mind only so she can watch her husband die at his orders. He holds arena battles for entertainment, sends the heroines to capture Ms. Marvel, who he soon takes over as well. He says, shh, relax, everybody fights at first, especially the ones who are afraid they like the feeling of me being in control just a bit too much. He makes the captured heroines fight Ms. Marvel, who breaks free of his control because there is an alien entity inside of her, don't worry about it. And then he tries to blow up the whole castle and kill everyone, including himself. When he's losing, he pouts. It doesn't matter how far I run. It doesn't matter how carefully I plan. Someone always comes to stop the show. This time, I didn't care if it was the Fantastic Four or the Avengers or the X-Men. Whoever it was, they were going to take the final bow with me. So he wants to do, uh, I don't know, suicide by superhero? Miss Marvel seemingly lets himself blow himself up. Later, at Bullstream's investment group headquarters, Puppet Master confronted a man who had squandered millions in his own life savings. He makes the man strip down to his underwear and then literally eat his own hand. While the Puppet Master maintained control over the board of directors, Deadpool and Machine Man attacked, their own money were impacted by this scheme, and the Puppet Master first tried to ally with them and then take them over, but they were both immune. Machine Man managed to use a Puppet Master puppet to shut down Puppet Master's brain and then forced him to jump out of a window. In the raft, having survived, the Puppet Master heard about Alicia Masters getting married to the Thing. He received radioactive clay from Doctor Doom and used it to create a puppet of the Hulk, who then attacked the Thing and Alicia on their island honeymoon. While manipulating the Warden into serving him in prison, Puppet Master used this Hulk puppet to make the Hulk destroy massive amounts of property while putting civilians in danger, and he badly wounded the Thing. The fight didn't end until the thing punched the Hulk so hard that it broke the puppet from hundreds, hundreds of miles away. The Hulk later broke into the jail, broke the puppet master's hands again, and badly beat him up. You can hear us in the era of the early 2000s. The key issues here are Marvel Knights 4, numbers 13 and 14, Fantastic Four Foes number 1, Ms. Marvel Volume 2, 18 through 20, Deadpool Team Up 890, and Fantastic Four Volume 6, numbers 11 through 13. Let me turn it over to Steve. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, NBs and ladies and gentle thems, um, I have a lot of thoughts about this section, so if, I'd appreciate it if you come walk with me on it. We're going to go on a case-by-case -case basis because this is a man who is wildly different in every appearance at this point. I do like that the Puppet Master has a habit of being horrifically killed at the end of every appearance because it's always unclear like who we're getting next time. Um, this first story is uh, a Marvel Knights Fantastic Four story that is a 
very straightforward adaptation of the 1959-1960 French film, uh, a horror film, uh, Eyes Without a Face. Uh, the story itself is actually called Eyes Without a Face. It probably should have been called Face Without Eyes, given the events of the issue. Um, but in it, you know, uh, the puppet master goes through basically doing exactly what the villain of that film does, which is he attacks a series of women, brutally killing them, leaving their bodies in a river. And instead of taking their faces and grafting it to his daughter, in this case, he is taking their eyes and replacing Alicia's eyes sequentially with them. They always reject and they melt. It's, it's horrific. It's gross. It's, the comic itself is interesting because it's just an attempt to adapt a horror movie into a comic. And in that case, it's very effective. It works as a horror story within the comic. Um, but the way that like puppet master is portrayed is like, how, how can you not, how can you not see that this is horrifying? He's become a serial killer at this point, not just like a, a super villain, you know, he's th there's a theme in these late comics of the very bad man section where Puppet Master continuously claims that he's retired from supervillainy. Uh, he seems to have just become, you know, among other things, a serial killer and a human trafficker at this point. So um, I don't I don't know if there's a lot of I don't know if there's a lot to say in defense of the Puppet Master at this point as he's attacking women for Alicia. Alicia clearly doesn't want him to do this. Uh, although I will say I don't love that Alicia's character in this is presented as kind of wanting Sue Storm's eyes. Like, in the comic, she is very much like, oh, but with Sue Storm's eyes, I could see forever. Like, I really could, though. <laughs> like, uh, it would suck so much, but if I didn't do anything, then he'd just take her eyes and then it wouldn't really be my fault. Strange. Strange thing to throw in there. Um, but yeah, I find him very irredeemable in this. It's going to depend entirely on how much you think he's been turned into a... Uh, Kathan Clay Gollum, you know, at this point, like no longer the Smeagol of our early stories. Um, this this next story with the Mad Thinker, his next appearance with the Mad Thinker, is interesting to me because I feel like he didn't really like do anything wrong because his plan is immediately thwarted. Like he gets all of the DNA from all these supervillains for him and the Mad Thinker to use so that he can, he can theoretically control all of them at a distance all at once without like having to use the clay anymore. But the first thing he does is immediately go to Ben Grimm's apartment up in the Baxter building or well, to Alicia's apartment up in the Baxter building to go and get her and be like, Hey, come with me. You don't need to hang out with Ben anymore because I'll provide for you now, you know? which is like a running theme with him, which is like he hates Ben because he takes her out of like his house and home and control, but also like he doesn't want anybody else to be the provider in her life. He wants her to depend on him. And so he wants to, he wants to take her away at this point. And Ben Grimm shows up and the puppet master at this point only has the DNA like ready for one villain, which I, I don't know. It doesn't even make sense because he got the dragon man. The dragon man theoretically doesn't have any DNA. He's an android, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe he's a synthesoid. But he is using the Dragon Man, and we cut away, and we cut back, and Ben Grimm has already defeated the Dragon Man and the Puppet Master. So, like, I don't know what he did besides property damage to the Baxter building, which, in my opinion, is just not a crime. Like, I'm sorry. It's just not. <laughs> property damage to the Baxter building is a fact of life. It's an act of God, probably, to most insurers. And we'll get into that <laughs> in the next segment. So, um... This is the part that I think is completely irredeemable. It is indefensible. There's 
any court in the world would convict him. Well, maybe not our courts, but our courts are famously corrupt at this point. Um, but any court should convict him in the world. And it's because he's become a gigantic human trafficker, like one of the largest in the world. He's running an absolutely ridiculous organization on an island. Um, he is capturing women of all variety as it is have it is extremely heavily implied to be sex slaves to the point where it's like yeah that's obviously the only interpretation and the men for sex slaves occasionally and for most of the time just physical labor slaves um he does force a man he does kill several people in gladiator fights with these slaves like in his uh courtyard of his palace he kills a man he has a man kill himself in front of uh, his wife while, and then be killed by another of his like controlled puppet slaves just for the fun of it. And he goes on and on about how he's retired now so he can do what he wants. Leave me alone. Like I'm just at one point when the heroes come to beat him up, he just says, I was just trying to live my life, which is an absolutely like hateful thing to say when you've been ruining the lives of these people around the world. But yes, that includes superpowered women who go for much higher. And that includes teenage superpowered women, uh, two of them in this issue. Also, this is not, I have been saying for many years that I wanted to see Silverclaw back in a Marvel comic. This is not how I wanted to see Silverclaw <laughs> back in a Marvel comic. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's really rough. Um, it is nice to see battle axe in here. Just as a side note, I love her. She's a former grappler. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's, there's nothing that I could say in defense of this man at the very end. He gives some completely bullshit excuses about how like, oh, you know, I've, I'm retired now and people just keep coming after me and nothing I do is ever good. So I'm just here to, I'm just here to kill whoever comes after me. And it's, it seems like he created this whole human trafficking organization in an attempt to like kill himself finally at the hands of Ms. Marvel, you know, and he effectively does that. Ms. Marvel takes it on herself a lot at the end of the issue and saying that she killed that man. She as good as pushed the button. But no, I want to stay for the record here that this was definitely a suicide by superhero situation, as Chad said. Um, I, I don't contone anything that happens in this, and I, I hope you all decide to throw the book at him for that. Um, in my next, in, in the, the very next section, I want to kind of like take a different tack here. Um, I just want to say that this comic is, there are two ways to read it. There's what I think is the intentional read that the, the author wants you to have for this comic. And then I think there is my reading, which is very much against the intention of the author. And I'm going to try to go with that. I don't think overall that you can read the comic the way I would prefer to read it in context with the things that we have just read. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to do that. And I don't think it's possible to judge one person on these crimes if you're doing that. But I do want to give you my interpretation of this guy because there are two options. One is that Deadpool and Machine Man spend the entirety of this issue um, pointlessly transvestigating the Puppet Master <laughs> and that they are just kind of transphobic and shitty people and that Puppet Master is the villain that we all think he is and he's being mistaken for a trans man. Or there is another reading of it, which is that the Puppet Master is a trans man. Welcome to my seminar. <laughs> and in fact, Deadpool and Machine Man are still transphobic. <laughs> I really like to read the comic in this situation. I would not normally, because I am not going to say that a Marvel Comics character who is a trans man should be a gigantic human trafficker. That doesn't work. But for the purposes of this issue, I would like to point out that somebody who is constantly being 
meanly referred to as a little old woman by the alleged protagonists of the issue. Somebody whose lovely eyelashes are pointed out. It's, it seems like he's a little clocky. It's not his fault. Um, he is heroically, in my opinion, um, torturing the board of an investment group. <laughs> it's just plain and simple. They took his money and they fucked around with it. And he said, you, you thought you'd just get away with this? You thought you could just, you know, play with my money, gamble it away? I was reti- I was retiring. I set aside all these ill-gotten gains. They're still gains, whether they're ill-gotten or not. That's a different trial, and those are different crimes. And he's just making this guy eat his own hand because of the torture that he's inflicted on probably millions of Americans, probably many below the poverty line, and the rest just trying to work at jobs that are hopefully going to get them somewhere in life. And, you know... I don't know. I can't. I can't really hold that against the puppet master. I think the puppet master comes off like looking pretty good in this issue, and unfortunately, tragically, he is thwarted by these transphobic heroes, Deadpool and Machine Man. Uh, they do, in the end, stop him from uh, doing it. Although I will point out that the Machine Man does gruesomely murder and maim uh, another member of that board uh, in the process. And Deadpool shoots a guy in the arm, but he's fine, mostly. Machine Man turns one guy into a pretzel thoughtlessly without even realizing he had done it. Um, so yeah, after after Puppet Man had his one moment of heroism, uh, we move on to the very next thing, which unfortunately doesn't look good for him either. Puppet Master's back in prison after his antics, and... He controls the Hulk in an attempt to attack the Thing because he is upset that he has married his daughter, uh, Alicia. And unbeknownst to the Thing, the Thing had tried to get the Puppet Master's permission to marry Alicia and was happy to find that the Puppet Master had given it, but that was revealed to be a thing Alicia did. Alicia had made a puppet of her father and controlled him with his radioactive clay to say, yes, I give you your permission, Uh, which in this issue is very much portrayed as like a good and cool thing, which is interesting that that's how they went. Like Ben is like, oh, that's so romantic. She did that. I'm like, that's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, maybe if he had written it in a Christmas card, it would have gotten (laughs) to Puppet Master. Yeah, that might have been that might have been more appropriate, actually, Um, because Ben's Ben's upshot of this is he, he discovers that the Puppet Master did not give his permission. And Ben's like, well, fuck you anyway. That means she loves me and not you. The entire fight happens, and it's just it's just Puppet Master intentionally and successfully ruining Ben Grimm's honeymoon with Alicia Masters, uh, and ruining his daughter's honeymoon as well, obviously, primarily. Uh, and also, he endangers her with the Hulk and nearly kills her by trapping her and a bunch of the other people on this island inside of a cave-in that Alicia smartly and calmly gets them out of on her own without any superheroic help. She's been around people long enough to do this. She works with sculpting, so she knows about like load-bearing rocks and chipping away at them. Uh, I promise I'm not making that up. That is explicit in the issue, that her skills as a sculptor are part of what helped them get out. Uh, and her, you know, being blind, she's not super incapable in the dark like a lot of these other people. Uh, I think that was a nice touch. That This is my favorite story that I've read about the Pope Master, to be honest. It's also just, like, gorgeously drawn by Sean Isaacs and colored by Marcio Meniz. Um, but yeah, in this one, it's it's pure jealousy. It's pure revenge. And there's there's no, like, real care for Alicia motivating his actions. And what's more, he fully endangers Alicia through his actions, which he seems unrepentant of. Uh, in the end, 
he is still in jail because he's been doing this from jail because Dr. Doom sent him radioactive clay. Don't worry too much about that. But uh, there's not really much worry of him getting out. Exactly. Uh, and the Hulk does maybe kill him. Like that last panel is very unclear whether the Hulk murders him or not. And this, we are in the period where the immortal Hulk does murder people. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we'll see. I'm I'm fascinated by your interpretation of that Deadpool Machine Man story. I'm going to go back and read that again. Yes. I think for this, and I'd love to hear comments from the jury, but uh, is there anyone not voting five here? Just give me a hand if you plan to vote differently. If so, I'll go ahead and proceed. Nope. That Brian Reed story from 2006 uh, in Ms. Marvel, that three-part human trafficking story, is one of the roughest Marvel comics ever to come out. Uh, it's, it's, it's a hard one. And I kind of hope to never talk about it again at this point on my show. Uh, are there any comments from the jury about this section while I'm doing my calculations on uh, the Puppet Master? I wish I could give the trans puppet master from that issue of Deadpool a different score. Because <laughs> that's the only way I can read it without reading it as like everybody involved is being shitty. This comic is being mean to me personally. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. This storyline is the kind of like it takes me out of it being a comic book and just brings me yeah. back to like, well, you know, go, hanging out in the comic store as a girl, is this what guys like? Like these stories? Like, you know, you resist, but you want it. You know, like you just think about these things. It makes me think about, you know, seeing sex tourism in Once You Go South, uh, you know, me seeing in Brazil and, and Argentina. And, and, you know, you can just name any country, you know, including the U.S. And that type of mentality. And, and, and then also of how we should use or value women and like the fact that labor too, it's like, great, no mind, all sex, all labor. Yeah. So it, it takes me out of it being a comic and like really has me look at uh, real life. Yeah. We covered this story in the conversation about sexual assault uh, and mind control uh, panel. And this is one of the ones we talk about that's real rough. Uh, Justin, go ahead. It was hard not to cringe throughout that entire. You know, like it was just it hurt to hear, and to the point of is he a, a clay forming uh, manipulated pawn of Chathan? I, I feel like the fact that in the previous trial point, him reengaging with the clay and turning somewhat of a heroic side makes it feel like this is this is not the clay. Like he's he's reinvested in his connection to the clay. And now he's just found that he could do other stuff with it. And so I I lay the hammer down. It's a full five. <laughs> yeah, that uh by the way, that's a 30 out of 30 in that section, uh, which gives the, the puppet master a full 63% on the asshole scale, which is kind of impressive given how dark that last section was. Uh <laughs> but we, oh, we were yeah. kind to him in part two. <laughs> it's a huge step up in like stakes of his evil and the consequences of his evil in a way that is just like baffling if i was brian reed i would i would not have written the comic that he did in general like the whole series maybe but like if i was brian reed i think i would have just like i don't know used anybody but the puppet master for that particular story i get the idea behind it but like wow it's you're just talking about like a different level of villainy right well, and writers, if you want to redeem this character, just blame it on Chaton, pull that out of him and give him some will of his own for a while. <laughs> I have to say the cover for, I think it was Ms. Marvel 20, it was beautiful. I mean, it's horrible, but it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I really liked uh, 19 a lot. I think Tiger looks really good. I'm not used to enjoying Greg Horn's female faces, uh, but I think he did a better posing and stuff through the 18 through 20. And some of the other ones in that series are pretty good, too. 
And I can't believe he did that to Tigra. Chad, you mentioned it. I love 80s and 90s. And Tigra taking such a sex-positive character and horribly utilizing her in that way. Like, oh, poor well, Tigra. Have Tigra in the hood. We'll talk about Tigra some more another time. She had some rough, she had some rough years there. <laughs> Anytime you want to talk about my friend Greer, let me know. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to jump into part two of our trial today, which is a little lighter and a little more silly because it's all about brainchild and I get to use my Sauron voice a little bit. Okay, so one day Magneto reformed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants with the Toad. We've reviewed this on my show. He's beating the Toad up. He pulls Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch at. He's yelling at them. He's manipulating them. This is his evil 60s era. Uh, He guides a bullet to hit Scarlet Witch in the head, which takes her powers away, blames the humans. He goes to the UN and demands a country. Noble intentions, but the man is crazy. He's not in his right mind. And this is the section that makes our trial today fit into Magneto month on my show, which is the entire month of October. Anyway, he's facing defeat. Toad turns against him, kicks him loose from an airship, and he lands in this uh, in the ocean he's lost at sea. But he lands in the Savage Land, and his powers are kind of struggling, but he puts on a new suit, which he designs. He calls himself the Creator, and he finds a bunch of ancient alien technology that allows him to do all kinds of crazy stuff. He's wearing guns on the sides that allows him to channel his magnetic energy with a like a laser pistol. Anyway, lots of crazy stuff's going on. So he's got some familiarity with this alien technology because uh, Astra, go see the episode Daryl, <laughs> Daryl, Justin and I talked about Astra. Anyway, not the last time he's going to use weird alien machines to create superhumans. But while he's in the Savage Land, he gets an idea. He puts an ad in the local newspaper or something, and he gathers a bunch of local tribesmen, and he uses radiation and alien machines in order to grant them superpowers, which seems to release some sort of innate potential within them. And he initially tells them that they are mutants, but technically they are mutates. They do not have an X gene. So this forms our team, the Savage Land Mutates. And the local tribes are like, uh, somebody is kidnapping our loved ones and turning them into weird creatures. So we first meet these guys. Neil uh, Neil Adams designs them in uh, uh, X-Men number 62, using a direct quote from the issue. There is Gaza, the blind giant I taught to see mentally. Amphibious, the man frog. Four and four-armed Barbarus, Lupo, who is at one with certain beasts. Uh, the other members include Equilibrius, who can hypnotize you with his spinny eyes. Piper, who plays a pipe to ensorcel animals. And Lorelei, who has a lilting voice, who can control the minds of men. And then we have Brainchild, who has a computer-like mind, but the emotions of an infant. And he's real weird. He has a muscular lean body that's like the size of a child's and an enormous gold medallion on his chest, an enlarged head with a thick head of brown hair, but also a really terrible receding hairline. He's got long arms and he wields a knife. And we see him using his analytical mind to find the structural weakness in things. He's quiet in his first appearance. He has big watching eyes. But the next time we see him, he's more calculating. He's taking on more of a leadership role. He spars with Hawkeye. And consider this interchange. Hawkeye says, It won't do you any good to scamper, shorty. In the hundred-yard dash, you're strictly a bench warmer. And Brainchild says, It appears you are correct, Bowman. But what are appearances to one who can calculate where you should stop to cause a whole pile of rubble to slide and pin you totally? Buried to the shoulders, you and the arrows are useless, so I am your master after all. And Hawkeye says, Mister, you couldn't be my master if I was a Pekingese puppy. And speaking of Pekingese, you kind of look like one I know, spends all its time shedding on the rug. 
And Brainchild says, you call me an animal? I who have evolved? You can't say such things to me. I am fully human now, more than fully human. There is no trace of animalism in me, not a bit of it. And he freaks out, clutches his head in an angry, angry tantrum. And Hawkeye says, uh, well, all right, my gamble on the baby's emotions came through like a champ. He had a tantrum and passed out, which is literally how he was defeated in that first appearance. The next time we see Brainchild, he's gotten smarter and more cunning. He no longer needs the scientists to control the machines of the Savage Land mutates. He has the mutates, he's led them in taking over the citadel of Garok, the petrified man, where he begins using the machines to devolve and evolve different tribesmen. He seems to want to be Magneto. He's full of self-importance, screaming at his underlings, picking fights, making all the strategic decisions for the team. He's the guy who created the mutate Vertigo, who would later go on to join the Marauders. So you're welcome for that. That's the one nice thing he's done for us over time. Uh, he's also uh, created uh, the characters Whiteout, Worm, Leash, and Lupa. Uh, he has an obsession with Storm that kind of shows up from the start. He captures her, dresses her in a white bikini with gold accessories, and has her brought before him. And he says, Magnificent! The slaves prepared you well, Storm. You are beautiful beyond my wildest dreams. And she says, What do you want, brainchild? And he says, You, of course. Actually, my dear, you're in no position to refuse me. Consider the alternative. Would you rather spend the rest of your life as a Neanderthal or worse? And she slaps him across the face and says, yes! And he fucking slaps her back and says, you'll pay for that! I'll devolve your body but not your brain! The consciousness of Storm trapped within the form of a demi-beast, a demi-human beast before I'm done, you'll beg me to take you! But then Zabu jumps in and pins him to the floor. Uh, Stork, Storm convinces Kazar to leave Zabu, or to leave Brainchild alive. Uh, so there's kind of some snapshots from his sporadic adventure He's always along with the Savage Land Mutates. Uh, tell me some of your thoughts on this guy's early origins. And yes, there is a lot of colonialism with this story. Fuck Magneto for that, that terrible thing right from the start. Uh, what are your thoughts on the origins of Brainchild? The fact that he wants to be Magneto, he loves Storm, and he gave us the mutates. Like, I understand he does terrible things afterwards. And, and you know, the, the I would question, did he kidnap these tribesmen or did they volunteer for cool superpowers? Because that could also happen. You know, I'm preparing for my defense. No, I think that uh, Brainchild has a lot working for him, but does a lot of terrible things with it. I'm glad he gave us Vertigo. Um, I'm, I'm a Vertigo Marauders fan. I often forget that she is a mutate at all. The, uh, fact, that, being... the fact that Hawkeye defeated him by calling him a Pekingese puppy and making him have a tantrum. It's, it's so stupid. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's difficult to like. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, as to as to being a fan of Storm and dressing her in hot clothes, it really de it really depends on who you are. Like if Dracula does it, if Doctor Doom does it, you know, there's a lot. There's it's cool and there's pushback and there should be uh brainchild may join that camp i don't know it depends on how respectful he is he's not very respectful <laughs> well neither is dr doom or dracula but you know at least they <laughs> at least they get shown their error of their ways you know but they have doom castles <laughs> they do have castles i don't know if brainchild actually has a castle he's got a cave <laughs> i don't have anything deep to say except uh basically he reminds me of uh it's a baby Herman from uh, Roger Rabbit, the guy that <laughs> baby 
baby Stewie from the family guy. Like, <laughs> um, but he's definitely more sexualized uh, than um, what's his name? Pup, uh, Puppet master. I forgot him already. We just finished him. You know, the, there's definitely more of a sexual element to this, to this character. And I'm, I'm, you know, we could talk, of, I'll wait for the trial note, you know, the whole outfits with Storm. I like that too, you know, there's sex positivity. It's totally, this is like the Star Wars era. It's like the Princess Leia outfit, right? With Jabba the Hutt. All right, I was supposed to say that for trial note, but you know, that's, that was the time. So Brainchild's generally in charge of the Savage Land mutates, unless someone else is in charge, because he's very quick to ally himself with anyone who wants to take over. And that includes Magneto, Sauron, Zaladane, the High Evolutionary, Kazar, and even the X-Men. Brainchild's constantly shifting uh, his motivations to whoever is on top, but he always has his own aspirations of power. He's the guy that wants to sneak in and take over when whoever is going to fail. He's never to be trusted. In Squirrel Girl, Ryan North uses this tagline that Dorian Green has the power powers of both squirrel and girl, which is one of my favorite things. Uh, using that logic, we can say that Brainchild has the powers of both brain and child. He's hyper-intelligent, but also quit to uh, quick to throw like giant fits. Uh, he once stated that his brain weighs 27 pounds and contains billions of neurons that are capable of relaying information at Mach 1 speed. He has access to weird alien machines that can evolve and devolve other people. He's sometimes portrayed as like mildly telepathic, but mostly he just ob seems obsessed with creating an army of dinosaurs, which is one of my favorite things about Sauron, but Brainchild creeps me out. Uh, this character does not have the wild history of the Puppet Master, but he does have that same kind of creepy vibe, the evil nature, the obsession with domination, but he's also much more of a follower with dreams of grandeur. I'm dissatisfied because I don't know his backstory or where he comes from. But outside of Vertigo, who's gone on to have a long history with the Marauders, this character is one of the only Savage Land mutates who's ever really given any will or motivation at all. He's a team leader, but also a major follower. It's also interesting to me the colonialism of it all, right? Magneto comes in and says, here's this, uh, here's these machines, let me give you some power and influence. Uh, and then he kind of thinks himself as better than the people around him. Again, we don't know a lot about where he's coming from. A uh, fun fact, Nightcrawler once noted that Brainchild speaks in a British accent, which uh, makes him worse somehow. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, what are some of your thoughts on uh, Brainchild's powers well, and motivations? So what? He just attaches to the people in power. What's the difference between him and like a Capitol Hill staffer in Washington? Um, <laughs> I'm not seeing one. Uh, you know, he he and Matt Gates have a little in common. <laughs> this guy's kind of fun. He's easy to summarize. He's easy to just kind of tie up in a few paragraphs. I think it's okay to just. Let's just jump right into the trial. Yeah, Magneto needed another toad, and though oh, he literally has a frogman, Brainchild is the toad of the Savage Land Mutates. Okay, so trial point one for this guy, we're calling follow the leader. The assigned jury member here is uh, Susan Kirtley. And Susan, you are this brilliant academic who just took this ridiculous character. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for coming along. Uh, when we first meet the Savage Land Mutates, they are faithfully serving Magneto, who they call the creator. He's acting like a big old colonialist, and he has plans of conquest. The X-Men and Kazar attack. Brainchild helps fight back, pointing out a stone in the wall that would hit uh, that when hit would collapse on the X-Men, but he's pretty pretty easily defeated by Iceman. The mutates soon, they're devolved and then evolved again. Uh, they begin kidnapping scientists from South America. 
in order to force them to create more mutates in the Savage Land. And they're soon attacked by the Avengers and Sif of, uh, from Thor. Brainchild fights Hawkeye, burying the hero in rubble, but Hawkeye calls Brainchild an animal and he throws a tantrum and passes out. The scientists are rescued, the mutates are defeated. Brainchild soon becomes hyper-intelligent, uh, perhaps by evolving himself further, and he takes over the leadership of the Savage Land mutates. They inhabited the citadel of Garak the Petrified Man and begin using the evolution and uh, the evolution machines inside to devolve and evolve people at Brainchild's whim. Brainchild creates the new mutate Vertigo. When Tanya Anderson, Angel, and Spider-Man were captured, they were devolved into barbarian forms. Then Kazar Zabu, Carl Lycos, and the Fall People tribe attacked, and the machines end up getting destroyed, and Lycos gets transformed into Sauron as the mutates escape. The mutates later ally themselves with Sauron and Zaladane, and Brainchild builds a mutant energy accelerator. Tanya and Shanna were imprisoned and devolved. Then the X-Men attacked, but Sauron easily captured them, and many of them were devolved as well. Uh, go back to the evolutionary trial for more discussions about de-evolution and evolution. Uh, Storm was dressed in a bikini. Brainchild tried to tried to seduce her, which begins his obsession with this woman that we'll see later. Uh, but she and Kazar let him live when they uh, when he was defeated. In the end, everyone was reverted to their natural states. The mutates were devolved again, and none of this lasted very long. After creating an alliance with the High Evolutionary and Zaladane, Brainchild used evolutionary machines to create two new mutates, White Out, a lady in white who can blind you, and Storm, who, or excuse me, and Worm, who's a little worm guy in a hat who can cover his victims in slime and control them. Using a machine that Brainchild built, Zaladane stole the powers of Polaris, who was then imprisoned with havoc in the dungeons. Brainchild flirted with Polaris. A woman as lovely as you, Lorna Dane, should not be in such a place. A smile cup coupled with some further display of your affection, and I can ensure you live out your days as a queen. Ugh. Anyway, he gets a makeover. He adds a gold head crown and studded and beaded bracelets and suspenders and a whip and a gun and a holster. After he helps drain Magneto's powers into Zaladane, who's also using Worm's powers to keep Nereel and Shanna the She-Devil captive. Uh, anyway, they're soon defeated by Nick Fury, Kazar, Rogue, and S.H.I.E.L.D. Sauron takes control of the mutates once again and begins uniting the tribes of the Savage Land under his rule while capturing members of the Fall People, the ones who dissented. Brainchild builds another evolution and machine, this one called a Wave Anomaly Generator, and tried to use it on Rogue, but it accidentally hyper-evolved a lizard instead. Wolverine and Magneto get involved, but Sauron remains in control. Uh, I'll save my thoughts. <laughs> the key issues here are X-Men uh, 6263, Avengers 105, Marvel Fanfare 1 through 4, Uncanny X-Men 250, 274, 275, and Wolverine 69 through 71. Uh, let me turn it over to Susan Kirtley. And I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on this weird guy. Thank you. Thank you. I was not that familiar with Brainchild, and I uh, enjoyed reading these old uh Issues and just as a, you mentioned that um, there's been a tiny bit of discussion, a little bit about um, Storm and the bikini. In this run, it takes place in the Savage Lands, and really, there pretty much everyone is wearing shredded outfits, bikinis. You know, Rogue, Storm—they're all in these really ridiculous bikinis. And it, for moments, that it would take me out of the story. However, I would like to point out that it's really equal opportunity nudity because Magneto is almost naked for much of it. So mm -hmm. if you're looking for barely clothed 
superheroes of, of you know, all, all kinds, then, then this is the run for you as a little PSA. I, it was equal opportunity uh, nudity. So there you go, just your PSA if you want to look it up. I'm going to very briefly run through um, the defense and the prosecution and then we'll, you know, open it up. So I'll be, I'll be brief. So this has been referenced. My argument for the defense is that we should consider brainchild innocent by reason of mental incompetence, which I, as an accomplished um, lawyer by Google, looked up the definition for again. Um, we learn in this run of issues that brainchild, he wasn't born a mutant. He was transformed into one, and he is consequently a hot mess. Uh, he's known for this machine-like computer brain, which weighs 27 pounds, and he has the emotions of a child. I'd like to point out he never asked for this. He does not know what to do with his intellect. In the introduction, he is described thus, brainchild with a computer-like mind and the emotions of an infant. And he demonstrates this immaturity over and over. He boasts he yells, he runs away from danger. And then as you pointed out, it looks like he might win a fight. He's goaded, he's bullied by Hawkeye into having a tantrum. And then he just passes out. It's so sad. Um, occasionally also in terms of his defense, he collaborates and sometimes helps the X-Men and other heroes, um, but so immature. Um, I would also like to point out, obviously we don't judge people based on their appearances. However, I think the uh, sad accessories game also speaks to his mental incompetence. Um, of course, he is drawn in that very particular and grotesque kind of way. He has this enormous bulging head and the cave person appearance. But I think if you track his accessories, they really allude to his mental state. He starts with the diaper and the it's like a diaper kind of thing and a giant medallion. He later progresses to like, it's like a speedo of dubious color, sort of brown. He has a knife, a crossbody bag. Then he brings in the disco vest, the crown <laughs> thing, later the whip and the gun. It's it's really, it's just a cry for help. So I would argue that his actions, his actions, his origins, and his accessories all provide evidence of his mental incompetence to stand trial. So I would also like to comment, you were saying as an academic, I was doing this close reading of like his, his basic, his like diaper and, and speedo. And I was like, what does that color say? And I was like, Oh my goodness. What have you made me do? What have I become that I am now like trying to make a link between his accessories and his diminishing mental capacities. But these are the things that we do for the love of the comics. So guilty. Here's my argument briefly for his guilt. I mean, Brainchild continually, he captures people and threatens them. He threatens to turn them into primordial ooze. He's obviously fixated on evolving and devolving given his origins. He's particularly interested in women like Storm, in addition, Rogue and Polaris, and he offers them freedom if they, quote, show him some affection. It's creepy. It's awful. It's disgusting. There's an example where um, they describe his actions. Brainchild caresses his controls on this machine. Eyes alight with perverse anticipation. Storm is helpless and in pain. He likes that. He would prolong her or ordeal if he could, but he is not master here. And another example, as you reference, Brainchild's working for Zaladane. It's now even creepier. He's moved on to that diaper medallion look, and he makes the machine to steal Polar Polaris's powers. And then he hits on her while she's in the dungeon, promising to let her live her days as a queen, quote, 
for a smile coupled with some further demonstration of your affection. I repeat, it's creepy, awful, disgusting, and so, so wrong. Uh, one more point of evidence I would that I mentioned as a reason to acquit, but honestly, if you look closely at his fashion game, as I did, but I don't recommend it, he is guilty of serious crimes. Between the diaper, the speedo, the medallion, the crown, the vest, it's a lot. Therefore, given his offenses against women and his decidedly less serious transgressions against fashion, I argue that Brainchild should be condemned for his crimes. And you can take that as you will. Uh, Justin's getting cosplay ideas over there. I can see it. <laughs> Baby man. There's something really interesting about sorting out our feelings about this guy's appearance, right? Because he he's a child, which makes it difficult to hold him to any, I don't know, like he's he's an interesting character. I need some backstory. I need to know where he comes from to be able to judge him appropriately. Uh, do we have thoughts from the jury? Questions or comments on this section? Particularly, I think it will help you make up your mind here. It, this will. I'm sorry. I'm still confused about it. Is he a child or is he a childlike adult? I don't understand. He seems to be a childlike adult. That's how I would portray it. Given the receipt, he looks like mind. an adult. I mean, he looks. Yeah. It's unclear. He looks like an adult. Sort of. Comic book artists are terrible historically, unless they're John Bogdanov at portraying a child as looking like a child. But like, yeah, I think he's supposed to be an adult who's childlike, right? I feel like he's a character that would like get a position in like, uh, and, and I know this term is dated, but like a freak show in a circus in like the early 1900s, right? Because uh, yeah. he's so odd looking and people would be in, uh, inspired by that and they'd call him names for that. But this character doesn't face a lot of adversary. The only person who really bullies him is Hawkeye. Because <laughs> he's, not, he's not a character that you see bullied much. He is the bully, uh, which is interesting. I forgot he, I forgot about the goatee because I wasn't looking at him. Of course, he's an adult. <laughs> well, it's yeah, always smaller little dogs that, you know, have more bark. So, of course, he's the bully. It's the the baby brain, the unsuccessful plans. You know, he's a creep, but I just I'm not seeing a whole lot of like hard crimes here. Uh, he, he looks, you know, unsettlingly man baby, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, like should should we judge him for wanting to evolve people? I mean, like if you listen to that ancient aliens guy. Apparently, we're all evolved because the aliens came down and gave us some of their DNA. Would you want to still be a caveman? I mean, you could look at it that way. He's, he's releasing. Got, he's got aspirations to follow in Magneto's footsteps. Magneto, who, who takes pride in the evolved form that is mutants, I would be inspired by Magneto as well, even if he did beat me. Honestly, probably more so than. This character is horrifying. He really is. But separating out his appearance from his actions or crimes, I think, is the is the job here. Uh, so let's go ahead and vote. Uh, Steve, what do we got? I don't know. I don't I don't like the misogyny. I don't like the treatment of Storm. Uh, that being said, I don't really think he's worse to Storm than a lot of other villains who I usually give a pass for being cool and they look cooler than him. So based on what you said about his appearance, I don't want to give him a harsher vote because of his appearance than I would give to Dracula. Although I would give everybody a harsher vote than dracula <laughs> uh, so what are you saying uh three okay i uh i want to go three but i'm gonna lower one point because he's savvy 
he attaches himself to power and then like rises above every time and i'm gonna lower it another point because he gave us vertigo so it's a one for me (laughs) over to daryl i'm going to go with a two um i don't like the treatment of storm at all um but i think a lot of the stuff is fairly innocuous so i'm comfortable with a two I go hold there. I love a Savage Land story, and I love the mutates every time. Uh, Justin and then Stephanie. It's a two for me as well. I think you know the the couple of small things that he's done. Not to diminish the treatment of Storm. Storm's one of my favorite characters and a badass woman, but like she was never under threat. She could have easily killed this man if she needed to. Like this was just baby trying to. He fell in love with the beautiful weather goddess that is Storm, and I, I just. You know, it's not enough to be more. It's a two. Yeah, I'm with you, too. You know, he's working towards the future. <laughs> I mean, it's not good that he uh, forces you to have, you have no choice about it. But yeah, it's a two for me. And Susan. I For me, it's a two. He, I, I really got the feeling that they kept stressing he has the emotional stability of a child or a baby. And I'm like he he's like lashing out he's super obviously by definition he's immature and sort of lashing out and like oh i want this i don't want this oh no you know like i just don't feel like i can fully hold him responsible when he has the immaturity and when he's you know the emotional stability of a child this character elicits complicated feelings in me is what i'm realizing (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I, I continuously want to lower my score because he's like childlike, but I and like that's very understandable. But I wish I wish that the Cox would take a real like solid line on it, I guess. I uh I'm gonna fast forward to like six hours from now when I'm laying in bed trying to sleep and I start laughing out loud thinking of Susan Curtley telling me, Chad, what have you done to me? I'm analyzing I'm analyzing the literary <laughs> complications of brainchild's diaper. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, okay, last one. I know this has been a long ride, everybody. Thank you for hanging out for this long on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, trial point two, world domination plans. The assigned jury member here is Justin Wilder. Sauron grew more savage and began draining the lives of tribesmen in the savage land. He ordered Brainchild to build him a device that it would allow him to drain the mutant energy from havoc, but the machine worked too well and Sauron mutated into a mindless state. After a fight with the team, Brainchild seized control of the mutates and the X-Men departed. After creating more mutates, Leash and Lupa, I'm not going to go into them right now, Brainchild saw the X-Men enter the Savage Land, and he tried to drown them by flooding a tunnel. When some of the X-Men were captured, Brainchild began experimenting on Storm, determined to make her submit to him. And when she refused to be his queen willingly, he promised he'd make her, make her, make her his queen against her will. While coordinating attacks against the civilizations of Sorids in the Savage Land, Brainchild also sought to stop some of the mutates from turning against him. Enslaving Storm and others against his will during a big battle, Brainchild was soon knocked out and defeated. Brainchild and the mutates allied themselves with the X-Men to fight against the conquering Hauka race in a complicated mission. Though the mutants did not trust Brainchild specifically, in the end he tried taking over Storm's genome and he had world domination plans, but new hero X-23 knocked him out. Months later, Brainchild and the mutates hired Electro to break Sauron out of prison, resulting in dozens of supervillains being set free. 
When the new Avengers came to stop the Savage Land, came to the Savage Land to find Sauron, they were captured. Brainchild had them stripped naked and hung up so he could experiment on them. He was disappointed when Sauron ordered the Avengers killed instead, and they soon escaped and defeated the villains. Soon Brainchild began experimenting on dinosaurs, evolving them and equipping them with guns and telekinetic powers, and he hoped to use the army to conquer the world. Sentinel Squad ONE responded, and Brainchild ordered many of the human pilots killed, although he was soon defeated. Taking over Magneto's own base, Brainchild again led the mutates in a world domination plot, capturing Kazar, Shabu, excuse me, Shanna and Zabu. Uh, but Deadpool and his allies Weasel and Bob, the agent of Hydra, attacked and hilariously defeated Brainchild, who was left to be eaten by dinosaurs. Also in this appearance, Deadpool accessed Brainchild's pornography database and was horrified. In his most recent appearances, Brainchild was seen fighting finesse in the Savage Land alongside weaponized dinosaurs, and he evolved more dinosaurs, creating one called Demon Dinosaur. He stole the eggs of Devil Dinosaur but, uh, before being defeated by Spider-Man, Devil, and Moon Boy. In the Krakoan era, he has led armed dinosaurs and tribesmen in an attack on New York City, but they were swiftly defeated by the X-Men and Spider-Man. Uh, key issues here are X-Men Unlimited 6, Extreme X-Men Savage Land 1 through 4, Uncanny X-Men 459, New Avengers 5, Sentinel Squad ONE 3 and 4, Cable and Deadpool 49, Marvel Comics Presents Volume 2 Numbers 6 and 7, Avengers Academy 34, Avenging Spider-Man 14 and 15, and X-Men Annual 2023 Version uh, Number 1. Uh, Justin, that was a big section. Uh, yeah. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, uh, Justin, please go ahead. My favorite, just to pull it out before we start talking about it, uh, I'll never look at a stegosaurus the same way again. How, be, like, ah, just, I don't want to know. Brainchild, that porno collection is terrifying. Esteemed Jerry, I want to call your attention as the defense attorney here to the real villain, Sauron. His manipulative control over my client can't be overlooked. This man is a hypnotic were-pterodactyl, which, badass visual design aside, belies the true evil of his opening gambit. Calling him master, serving his grand design, Brainchild is an innocent pawn in a greater scheme as Sauron drains life of the innocent people in the Savage Land. It's all just pack mentality and the need to serve the alpha male that is and always will be Sauron. This is a simple case of trespassing, as we next see. The fact that the X-Men are coming in, busting through, you know, sure, nobody owns the Savage Land, but at least Brainchild has his home, has the place that he can call his own. The X-Men don't belong here. They come in as this badass group of renegade police, kicking ass and not even taking names. The nerve. Brainchild is here creating new life, Pursuing his dreams of light murder and domination, he's a driven man with a plan to seize the Savage Land as his own. And I don't presume to know the laws of the Savage Land, but who are the X-Men to volunteer to stop them? Law of the Jungle. Law of the Jungle, right? The Law of the Jungle. That's all we know. The X-Men align themselves with Brainchild? Well, that hardly sounds like he's a bad guy, right? Aren't they the heroes by proxy? Isn't he a hero? I mean, sure, he was up to some shady business on the side, but don't worry about that. Bishop almost trusts him, and he's a good guy like 67% of the time. Honestly, who can blame Brainchild for capturing the new Avengers, the coolest roster of Avengers that ever were? 
Sure, he probably didn't need to strip them naked, but have you seen the roster? They're hot. He didn't get to experiment on them, which is intent for a crime, really a crime. I'm going to break character for a second. Absolutely, 100% yes, and all the weird stuff he does to Storm are deplorable. Back to the defense. If anyone should be defended here, it's Carl Lycos for the shit that S.H.I.E.L.D. and Weapon X put him through. All the torments, all the... all the experiments that they did, it's just, we're not, we're not really talking about brainchild here. The next point, I mean, tech-powered dinosaurs. Who could fault brainchild with something so freaking cool? Plus, he uses them to destroy sentinels, which in the big picture of things is a plus. I have very little sympathy for the deaths of humans piloting sentinels. What continues is a one-two punch of the same song and dance, capturing people, manipulating dinosaurs with science, and failing miserably. Brainchild shouldn't be on trial here because his plots aren't even really that much of a threat. They're a fun romp for the heroes to test their mettle against, and the world could use a little more of that sci-fi fare. Ding! <laughs> the defense rests and the prosecution takes the stand. <laughs> the defense over here claiming innocence, but the depth of ingenuity displayed here underscores how in control Brainchild is. Baby brain? A pawn? I don't think so. Capturing and planning to drain the life forces of two of the most well-known and, and citizen, like, like positive citizen X-Men, Cyclops, Gene, and even Havoc? While not something I'm upset about, it is illegal and should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, his genuine over-maniacal master well-being shows an independence of thought amongst the fraying mind of Sauron, fractured by the visions of his human form. He is in complete control here. Brainchild is the bad guy. The whole while, he's trying to enslave the most badass, amazing leader of the X-Men should be priority number one. Claiming to want to kill a team of X-Men, at least he refuses to kill the members who happen to be in his lair, even if it's because he fears their fuller response as a team. However, he use, he's using his uh, creations to seduce and manipulate this team, Beast in particular. Having actually enslaved Storm as a pawn is an outrage. Like Her will fighting his paltry influence to ultimately overcome him should not be overlooked because Storm is a motherfucking badass. Working with Leash, Brainchild plotted to take down everyone yet again, even throwing Leash under the bus when he was when she was discovered. He ultimately makes his move while everyone is distracted and again goes after the best damn X-Men ever known. Aurora motherfucking Monroe. The man treats an entire area of the world as his own personal playground, manipulating the sentient life therein and sending it after anyone he pleases. Experimenting on the Avengers? Get out of here, brainchild. Honestly, Sauron helped you by stopping you from doing something that you would have gotten you in more trouble. At least he tried, but you wouldn't listen. Honestly, I stand by the dinosaur tech being cool on the defense and, and humans involved with Sentinels. Get no tears from me. You know, like this part, I completely have no prosecution for it. The world domination plot is something to be concerned with, but it's brainchild. He's never going to get there. He barely knows how to get out his front door before it blows up in his face. The big evolutionist plan is seeing the new collaboration emerge from dinosaurs and symbiotes. 
something that will inspire him as he continues to create the demon dinosaur. Fucking badass. There's also something to be said about him bringing his dino creatures to New York. Now, legally, we have no jurisdiction in the Savage Land. Law of the Jungle. So pop off as much as you want. But once you come onto American soil with your crackpot schemes, we've got a problem, brainchild, and you are facing jail time. I rest my case. Uh, it's dawning on me as you're talking. This is like brain preteen. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's like grow. He's like went from toddler to like slightly pre-adolescent here. Uh, although his crimes are are bad, uh, you're you know he's a big opportunist. <laughs> uh, as we're talking about brainchild for these last couple minutes, everybody, uh, please type in your scores or your judgments into the chat box, and I will add things up there. What are your thoughts on this section of brainchild's recent history? He's used more, I think, than people realize, which is one of the interesting things uh, when we're talking about this. You said enslaved storm, and in my head, a five formed, and it has been there the entire time. I I will not forgive. God will not forgive. <laughs> I can't forgive Jean Grey for it. I won't forgive Brainchild. I tried to control her genome, but this guy has machines. Gross. He sees like DNA evolution as like his right. I don't know. There's an ownership for him there that I think is really interesting. I, um, I think I think he worked for Hasbro, and this is the origin of the Dinobots. Um, and I, I think that is, if we want to talk about physical appearance, his goatee works well with the receding hairline. I think they pair well. Um, and he's buffed by like Savage Land one through four. So yeah, he's definitely has physical transformation. Uh, Susan, you know, his style has changed, right? And it's a, uh, that's very, he kind of reminds me of the Princess Bride, the smart guy. I forgot his name. You know, in the Princess oh, Bride. Oh yeah, yeah, indubitably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Pizzini. <laughs> Uh, he's an interesting character. I'm going to be digesting that for a little bit. Any final thoughts on Brainchild before we wrap up? Not a threat. Weird yeah. guy. You know, not a threat. He's kind of fun. You know, give him an army of dinosaurs with laser guns and you just get to have fun. It's like yeah. arcade. You're just happy when he shows up, even though he's really exactly. evil sometimes. Uh, he, this last section, he has a 20 out of 30. It's a final score of 32 out of 60, which gives him a 53% on the asshole scale, which is fair uh as we are wrapping up i know we went a little wrong a little long there are people here with children who have had long days at comic cons and or who are feeling ill thank you for spending your valuable time with me on a sunday night uh it's a genuine delight to see you all and i'm so always uh as uh, grateful for your time and your talents as i fumble on my words but i'm thrilled to uh to have spent this time with each of you i'd love to hear any concluding thoughts you have on puppet master and or brainchild and as we're doing outros please feel free to quietly exit after you take your turn uh, uh, Stephanie, would you like to go first here? Tell people where they can find you online. And we're going to put this out at the end of October, just before Halloween. Is there anything you'd like to plug as you share your final thoughts? Okay. Well, you can find me either in my very long name, Stephanie Nina Pizzerlos, my website on socials and moving away from Twitter. So I'm going to give you my Instagram, the Nina Galaxy, and also Blue Skies, the Nina, Nina Galaxy. Um, and I'm working on a really cool short story collection to told in graphic prose, photography, comics, original canvas work, Event Horizon, Stories of No Turning Back. It's going to be really exciting uh, stories. It's going to be sci-fi. It's going to be sensual. It's going to be literary with amazing artists. So be on the lookout for Kickstarter in the next few months. And yeah, these were very... Um, interesting characters um <laughs> i enjoyed exploring them and what it says about us in society 
Yeah, it'll leave you thinking tonight. It's great to see you, my friend. Uh, it was so nice to meet you in New York, and I hope to uh, I hope to see you again in person soon. Uh, thank you, <laughs> Stephanie. Uh, over to Susan Kirtley next. Uh, I'm Susan again. Susan Kirtley. You can um, find me at Portland State University. You can email at comics at pdx.edu or me directly at skirtly at pdx.edu. We do have events and virtual events if people ever want to join and talks and things like that. And I love, obviously, to talk comics. Uh, so thank you for including me. I will definitely be, um, I think, dreaming of the night. My nightmares will be of, of Brainchild. So thanks for that Halloween vision that <laughs> I, I fear that Brainchild will be, be haunting me in his... Um, loincloth best disco combo so it, it's it's worth rereading and thinking about so thank you or not i'm not sure which yet but uh seth martell <laughs> if you're listening seth draws all of the trial cover arts and i know he's dreading drawing these two characters for this particular trial uh, uh over to over to steve duda next hi steve Hello. Um, yeah, it was me, Steve Gouda. And um, if if you want, you can follow me on Twitter. I Follow me on Blue Sky. Twitter might not be a thing by the time this comes out, you know. So uh, at Howdy Duda, that's just like the puppet Howdy Doody. Um, it's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And um, I don't know, last time I came on here, I plugged a jazz album. So this time it's going to be coming out on Halloween. I'll say, here's what I'm going to be plugging. Hellbilly Deluxe by Robert Zombie. Go listen to it. How long has it been? You know, it's probably been too long, you'd think. Go check that uh, out. Have fun. Great to see you, Steve. Thank you. Uh, Daryl Lawrence. Wonderful to be back. Goodbye. Hey, so you can find me over on Instagram at X Factor Files Podcast, where you can follow along as we finish out all the 1993 annuals, like I just mentioned. Um, I am the newly announced programming director for the Uncanny Experience. It's coming back next year. So... Um, I'm so happy to be on staff and helping um, have a wonderful slate of panels and programs for people to enjoy. And I will leave with a puppet or Muppet connection. Um, my forthcoming book on Linda Ronstadt's career from 1969 to 1989 is coming out from Sonic Bond Publishing soon. I don't have a date yet. Otherwise, I'd share it. Um, and included in that book is Linda Ronside's appearance on The Muppet Show. It survives intact in my edits. So I look forward to people checking that out and exploring that and watching episode 23 of season five of The Muppet Show, where Linda Ronstad guests. Fantastic. You're fabulous. And congratulations on the new position for the Uncanny Experience. I'm so happy. You did a great job this last year. I can't wait to uh, see you again next year. Uh, and then lastly, Justin Wilder. Hey, everybody. I had a great time and got a new appreciation for Brainchild and even less of an appreciation for Puppet Master. So <laughs> it was a very middling set of villains uh, has now balanced a different type of scale. So that was really great. You can follow me and my wife on our X-Men comics adventures at the X-Wife podcast all over the Internet. That's T-H-E-X, like X-Men. W-I-F-E podcast, not former wife. And we talk about Cohen Era comics every week. Uh, I don't have like the official details to announce, but I will plug, I will be starting a new podcasting venture in the coming weeks. And I'm really excited to share more details as that develops. 
I am excited to hear more. Now, often people will message me and they'll be like, dude, you could be doing Sabretooth or Mystique, like people that are excited, like you're doing Brainchild. And I'm like, hey, I'm not in a hurry. I'm happy taking my time out of this show. I just got to spend a couple hours away from my children with super smart people. <laughs> and, I, and I had a great time. Uh, right. Lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the five of you are welcome to add me if you haven't. Uh, you can follow Gray Malkin Lane, uh, Gray Malkin PP Lake podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Uh, Magneto Month is wrapping up. So the final episode in October is going to be delving into the Marvel Voices Pride story in which teenage Bobby Iceman comes out to the attacking Magneto. Uh, the guest on that episode is going to be Anthony Oliveira, who wrote that story. And uh, it's going to be a delight to hang out with Anthony again. The next trial coming out in November is going to be all about the character Sunfire. Uh, I've put together a really powerhouse, incredible jury of all uh, Asian and or Asian American, Asian Canadian guests who are going to be there to talk about this very complicated character whose portrayal over the years is extraordinarily uh, culturally complex. Uh, but I'm very excited to record that in uh, November. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much to the members of my jury today. We will see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.